Instead of syncing your phone with iTunes, downloading an MP3 into your mobile device, you can stream episodes of MTR with the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Stitcher allows you to listen to My Take Radio via your 4G, 3G, or Wi-Fi connections. Downloading it is quick and easy. Head over to stitcher.com forward slash my take and you'll even be eligible to win some money. Enter my take all one word in the promo box and you'll be eligible to win $100 courtesy of my take radio and Stitcher. MTR live starts right now. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio, episode 161, for Thursday, November 1st, 2012. Our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, our call-in number 347-324-3541. You can also hit up our feedback line, 347-815-0687, 347-815-0MTR. All right. Rich has had a very interesting week. Obviously, for those of you that are unaware, My Take Radio broadcasts live from New York City, which, of course, is now pretty much Mad Max territory due to Hurricane Sandy, which uh, very interesting turn of events. And I'm going to share a little bit about that in a few minutes in our in my monologue for this week. As always, we um, we invite you guys to listen live via the dial-in number, 347-324-3541. Just do not hit option one, or you'll be entered into the caller queue. You can also listen via Mixler, either by going to Mixler.com or clicking the link in our Facebook fan page and listening that way. You can also head over to MyTakeRadio.com and click the listen button. You'll see the Blog Talk Radio player, and you can listen directly on the site. Archive shows are available via Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iTunes, Zoom Marketplace, and BlackBerry Podcast. So that's how you can listen to MTR Live and also archived. All right, so a couple of things are going on this week. Obviously, Brawling for Boobies was a very good success, and I'm going to be discussing that. Uh, My Take Radio has you know, changed the colors of the site back to our regular red and black, so you guys will see our familiar colors. Some of the stuff associated with Brawling for Boobies is still around just because there's still people donating and there are a couple of people that want to get some money in. And we're going to leave that up for the remainder of the week. And we're going to make some alterations next week, not only to our Facebook fan page and a couple of things there, but also to the site as well. I would like to invite all of our readers on the site and our fans on the fan page to either drop me a line via the message box 
on our Facebook fan page or via email mtrhost at mytakeradio.com just to let me know if there are any issues that you're experiencing navigating the site, any concerns or any thoughts on, on things you'd like to see going forward. I want to change a couple of things, including the way we categorize our posts and certain other things that we're going to be covering a little differently, and we're going to change the layout of the navigation. So you're going to be seeing that stuff hopefully by next week if our developer is not swimming underwater like everybody else. So be on the lookout for that. But I invite you guys, the listening audience, as well as our Facebook fans, to share your thoughts on things you'd like to see on the site. Um, A lot of people have really enjoyed all the cosplay we share on the fan page, which is great. I love sharing that stuff with you guys. I've been sharing videos, all kinds of crazy stuff. But if there's anything you'd like to see translated from the fan page to our regular website, we can definitely try and find ways to do that where wherever it's applicable. Um, as always, there's tons of new content coming up. Slick switched to Windows 8. So for those of you that are fans of all of Slick's content, be rest assured that he's going to be working on some stuff. Ben, I know, is probably working on the fighter of the month for the month of October. So be on the lookout for that, which I'm sure um, it's not John Jones for those of you that like to break balls. So we'll see who Ben is going to nominate for the month of October. It's going to be an interesting month for MMA in November as well. So I'm really interested to see who is, um, who's going to get the nod from Ben in November as well. Last but not least, our shirt designs are practically completed. I just got to write a check. And you'll be seeing new MTR shirts real soon. Last but not least, I got to remind people, especially with the holidays coming up, to make use of our Amazon store. Use our Amazon affiliate store to pick up all the latest games, Blu-ray, hardware, anything you need. It actually helps us out. And, of course, you get to use the reliable Amazon.com as always. Just a reminder for those of you that weren't aware of that. We're also going to be probably recording an MTR Beyond the Mic with Todd McFarlane, probably before the month of November is out. Um, you know, that's going to be something I've been looking forward to. I wanted to get him on for the live show, but his schedule does not permit that, so I figured I'd share that tasty nugget of information with regards to that. So Todd McFarlane will be our next Beyond the Mic, hopefully before the month is out. We're also working on uh, Mixed Martial Artist and... Of course, many of you know him as the green, red, and white Power Ranger, Jason David Frank. So we're working on that as well. Plus a couple of people that I'm going to keep secret for the time being. Uh, Ben Appley puts in the chat, uh, the fighter of the month is not John Jones. People need to stop bitching. People are just having a little fun fucking with you, Ben. I know know Ben is, is of course, in jest, but we always got to joke about it just because... You know, John Jones is John Jones. He is uh, the Messiah of mixed martial arts, as I, as I like to look at him. But anyway, that's a story for later on. We're going to talk about, of course, all the MMA news for the week. We got WWE, Hell in the Cell. We got Raw. We got TNA Impact. We got some gaming stuff. We got a ton of movie news. And, of course, we got... This week's monologue, which I wanted to talk to you about. First off, the most important thing, Brawling for Boobies 2012 closed out yesterday. Um, Our grand total raised was $1,100. $1,100 total. Um, You know, I want to thank all the people that have been involved, and I got to just give them acknowledgement. Uh, Billy Nichols from Structure Gaming joined us earlier this week for a uh, Super Street Fighter 4 Arcade Edition Fight Night along with some of his team from Structure Gaming and a couple of his friends. 
Um, some, of course, are his employees from Structure Gaming and also people that he knows. So I want to take a moment and acknowledge Billy for that. I appreciate him coming through. I'd also like to acknowledge Steven from Unveil, who, of course, are partners with us for showing up and playing a little Super Street Fighter 4 Arcade with us. I also want to thank everyone that donated. Of course, our very own Slick did a lot of great work, not only not only individually, but also with, with, with his with his colleagues at his place of work, uh, collecting some some awesome totals to really help us go over the top. I'd like to thank Dark Helmet, to Silva, James, who's also one of our listeners, Bronx, Josh and his family, uh, John Blade, of course, Torrance Davis, and a host of others that I may have left off, just obviously because they were anonymous, for helping us reach our $1,100 goal. Our goal was 1000 We broke that goal, and I'm very, I'm very proud of that accomplishment. And, of course, you know, seeing, seeing John Cena unveil the big check on Raw with a million dollars going to Coleman for the cure uh, really validated what we did this year. A couple of things I do have to acknowledge. Billy Nichols, of course, very apologetic for leaving us hanging last year. And, um, you know, I kind of I kind of put him on the hot seat for it. But regardless, he stepped up, uh, stepped up this year. So I appreciate that. Um, also, I do have to acknowledge one thing that, as, as always, is a is a huge, huge annoyance. And that's the fact that, you know, we we expected bigger turnouts for a lot of the events and, um you know, some some people some people just flaked out, left us hanging, whatever the case may be. And sadly, you know, I kind I kind of hold grudges. That's just the person I am. So some of those people definitely are on uh, the death watch list in terms of shit they need from me. But needless to say, they are. You know, we we did a really great thing this year, and I'm super proud to be a part of it. I'm proud of my team. Um, Slick, Andrea, Ben, Blade, Quark. Uh, all those guys for for putting in work in different ways, whether it was promoting the event, getting donations, participating in the games. It was it was it was a great thing. And honestly, I come on and I'm usually full of piss and vinegar, ready to, ready to just uh, chop people in the neck. But you know, our team stepped up. We we have a small family, and I'm glad to to be aligned with such great individuals that help make that possible. Of course, all of our longtime listeners that stepped up as well. You guys, we we really appreciate what you did. So there you have it, folks. $1,100. We did break that total. Now, I do have to say, um, in light of that, obviously, we're coming into November, which many of you know is Movember. And a lot of people are like, oh, you know, Rich, are you going to do Movember? First off, I cannot grow facial hair. So my attempt to grow a mustache would probably make me look like Zorro or any other lame villain with a thin mustache. It just doesn't happen. Rich does not grow facial hair. It's it's unfortunate, but it is a fact. But one individual that is, is one of our very own listeners, De Silva. He is working with uh, Mark Fight Shark Miller, and they're going to be growing uh, mustaches for cancer, of course, for Movember. And they got links for that, which I'm going to publish in the show notes. So De Silva stepping up doing his thing for Movember. If you guys want to help him out, Make sure you guys can look for the link for that in our show notes. Also, um, our friend Adam J from Superhero Photography, he mentioned this to me, and I thought it was a really cool project. Of course, if you guys visit our Facebook fan page, you see some of the great photos that um, Adam takes and we share with our audience. And he's actually working on something really, really cool, which is he's going to do a female version of RoboCop. Super old school. 
Uh, he's going to be working with Freddie Nova, who many of you know uh, from the Venom photo shoot. But this campaign is not like a regular campaign, so Mar- um, Adam is going to need to start raising some money. He's going to be doing an Indiegogo campaign. Uh, the goal is very modest, $2,500. It's going to cover the materials, all the labor, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if they do, if they manage to hit five thousand dollars, they're going to do a female Voltron photo shoot as well. So, um, you know, cool stuff from Adam J. Those links are also going to be shared in the show notes for this week. Adam did a tremendous job at New York Comic Con this year. He's been really supportive of us and everything we're doing. Not only that, but he, he's just a cool dude, super talented. So, I want to do my part to help him out. His his um, Beyond the Mic interview probably got the most traffic from from publishing that I've seen in a long time. I mean, we publish a lot of Beyond the Mic interviews, and they do uh, great numbers over time, but he just came out of the gate promoting his uh, his interview with us, and it just shot up to over 100 listens in, in days. So very, very cool. So if you guys want to be a part of that, help Adam. Uh, Adam. Um, help Adam get... Uh, pardon me. Caffeine high. Adam and Freddie... Get this RoboCop project off the ground. Like I said, links will be in the show notes. And of course, if they hit five grand, they will do Voltron as well. Now, let's talk about this Hurricane Sandy situation, which is a complete, complete clusterfuck. Um, For those of you that messaged me, emailed me, called me, text messaged me, Carrier Pigeon, all the other bullshit, uh, making sure that my family and I were okay. Thank you very much. We are. We just, you know, my house lost some shingles, a couple of little siding issues, most of which I ended up fixing on Tuesday, but a lot of people weren't so lucky. Uh, my colleague that I work with, he, uh, his house was filled with over a foot of water, lost a lot of stuff. Guy is actually sleeping in the office with his kids and his family. Uh, because of that, no heat, no hot water, just a complete mess. People that lived by the water, uh, friends of mine that live that are out of Long Beach, a couple of people that are out of Brooklyn, lost their cars, lost everything. Uh, people in Breezy Point, which is an area, an area here in Queens in New York City, uh, there not only did they have houses washed away, but a hundred families lost their homes due to a fire as well. Shit is madness. Now, a lot of crazy things have been going on with regards to how people are tackling the these hardships. First off, gas stations, it's like the walking dead out here. If one gas station opens, there's a line of like 100 people. Then as you drive further down, no stoplights are on. Not too many people are out. Trees are down. Lines are down. Streets are empty. It's it's chaos. So for those of you outside of New York City that want to help out or, or, do, or do something, you guys uh, hit up the Red Cross. See how you can help that way. If you're in New York City, you got power and stuff like that, you want to do something, make sure to hit up the nyc.gov if you want to volunteer or find places to drop off clothes and canned goods and stuff. We're going to send some canned goods from my house, uh, which my grandmother's going to take care of. And um, I know my father-in-law, he was cutting down trees today, and he's going to get some clothes out to some family. So it's real, real fucking crazy, man. Crazy shit. People... And of course, the the crazy thing besides that is the fact that society just completely falls apart. And the funny thing is, I go to like Yahoo.com and read the news or New York Daily News here in New York City. And people are like, oh, you know, New Yorkers should have been prepared, blah, blah, blah. You know, New Yorkers are fucking pampered. They get what they want. They've only been without power and shit for two days. They're incredibly impatient. 
Here, here's the crazy thing. There, there are, there are some valid points in some of those those comments that I saw. But let's be let's be realistic. A lot of people filled up on gas. Some of us have, some of us have kids. Some of us have have family members we got to check on, etc., etc., etc. Gas runs out. Shit happens. That's the way it is. Not only that, but people are being stuck in traffic driving around to take their kids to daycare or drive around and find water or drive around and pick up food or some people are sleeping in their cars. So some people just make assumptions automatically, which is ridiculous. Then, of course, you got the people that have survived the hurricanes in Florida and the earthquakes in California. And, of course, they're like, you know, they're pointing and laughing like, you know, fuck you guys. You guys are falling apart in two days. And I and I respect that. That's cool. People people are that are accustomed to this kind of shit. They, they, they know how to deal. They're prepared. I mean, personally, I went, I had two cases of water on standby. We had flashlights. We had candles. Um, I don't keep guns in my house. I keep a lot of knives and a lot of swords just because when the fall of man happens, I don't want to worry about bullets and I can be more, I can be more productive cutting off somebody's hands or somebody's head if necessary. But nonetheless, the fact still remains that shit is bad out there. If you want to help out, feel free to donate. Go to your Red Cross website. If you're in New York City, volunteer. Get rid of some canned goods. If you got some ugly Coogee sweaters or or terrible South Pole shirts that you don't wear, somebody out there will really appreciate them. So donate them. Handle your business. Um, as for us, we were good. You know, we didn't lose power. Like I said, a couple of small mishaps here and there. We're bringing you the show live. Uh, shit is, it it is what it is. Like I said, it's it's just crazy seeing so many just darkened streets. I left my office last night and pretty much my office building has light, power, uh, the, shot, the the mall across the street has power, Target actually had power so I was able to pick up some milk and some stuff for, for my house that, you know, just runs out. But there were, there were places where you drive down and there was not a single stoplight on, not a single um, floodlight on, it was just complete darkness which of course you want to drive through extra slow you don't want to run anybody over but you also want to make sure that nobody tries to pull the jack move and do some dumb shit because there there had there has been some of that already uh looting in coney island which is an area in brooklyn for those of you not familiar with new york uh people were actually looting during the daytime Re- hardcore looting uh photos of guys running out of rena center with flat screen tvs during the day people breaking into rite aid stealing baby wipes uh, stealing diapers. There was a guy, get this, interviewed by the paper. He was uh, stealing a TV. And, you know, the reporter asked him, like, dude, what are you doing? And the guy's like, yeah, well, you know, these places, they've stolen from us for years. Uh, it's time they started giving back. And the guy gave his name as Jesse James. And here's the funny thing about that guy. Nobody's stealing shit from you. Nobody. You are a complete fucking jerk job piece of shit that is doing the bold enough thing to loot a big screen TV, a big 40-inch television that you are running down the street with. And you ask yourself, if a cop shot you right now, who would protest that? Because that's some ballsy-ass shit that's going on out here. It's, it's, it's craziness. It is complete craziness. But amongst all the shit, I, I do have to applaud a lot of people that have done the right thing, come together, helped out their fellow men when, when needed, and... Um, you know, with people who tough it out, they'll get through it. But places like Atlantic City, Jersey, parts of Brooklyn, Staten Island, any waterfront communities just just wiped out, completely wiped out. Me, like I said, I'm very I'm I'm inland. I'm not really surrounded by water. But for those for those of you that 
you know, listen to the show and are waterfront, lost your houses, lost your personal belongings, you know, we feel for you. That's all I got to say. Shit is, shit is crazy. Um, that's pretty much it. I don't have any crazy hurricane stories for you guys. Uh, no crazy fits of rage. I haven't, I've had an actual pleasant, a pleasant week so far, you know, two days off from the hurricane. My office wasn't open and, um, I, I will say this. I will say that some people do try to pull some bold shit, you know, cutting lines, trying to pull some shit, cutting lines to get gas. I was online 30 minutes to get gas, um, Wednesday morning and some people just try to play the jack move which you know they get called out on it but other than that I haven't really had to choke any motherfuckers out this week and I'm kind of glad not in the mood for it but that's where we're at with regards to that all right let's get into this week's MMA news as always MMA is brought to you by MMA Warehouse get your favorite MMA gear from all your favorite fighters and also get rash guards uh, kick pads, gloves, all of that stuff hitting MMAWarehouse.com. You can click their banner on MyTakeRadio.com to visit the site. Helps us out as well. So, again, MMA Warehouse brings you the MMA segment for this week. Let's get the ball rolling. I don't know what the deal was with the ultimate fight, uh, the ultimate fighter last week. I don't know if it was because my DVR didn't tape it or I forgot to set it or it got preempted or maybe they didn't broadcast it, but I have nothing regarding the ultimate fighter. I think my DVR was just tired of fucking a shitty ass season and just refused to record it. But who knows? I could be wrong. Anyway, let's get into some of this week's MMA news. Um, first up, UFC 154 is a mere 16 days away. November 17th, it goes down. GSP returns to the octagon to defend his belt against interim champion Carlos Condit. Also on that card, Johnny Hendricks, Martin Campman, Tom Lawler, Francis Carmont, Cyril, uh, Cyril Diabati, Chad Griggs, Mark Hominick, and Pablo Garza are on your pay-per-view portion. On your prelims, you, which you can catch on FX, Patrick Cote is taking on Alessio Sakara, uh, Constance Philippou is taking on Nick Ring, John McDessie and, Stan, and um, Sam Stout. And Mark Bocek and Rafael Dos Anjos is going down on FX at 8 p.m. Facebook is getting a couple of fights as well. Those fights start at 6 p.m. Eastern. So, of course, GSP, first time back in a cage in Montreal. Shit is going to be bananas. I think as soon as his crazy Canadian French rap music hits, people are just going to jump out of their seats and spontaneously combust. UFC's been doing a great job promoting it. Um, people are torn with regards to how this fight can go. A lot of people are saying Carlos Condit may go in there and take it to GSP. The, the thing with GSP is sometimes you write him off and he surprises you and he looks like he, he's coming back better than ever. I've seen some of his training videos. Uh, he's actually inviting Condit to try and take out his, his bad knee or to test his knee. And um, who knows? It could be psychological, but it's a ballsy move. Dude came back from, from knee surgery and he's telling the dude to go ahead and kick me in the kneecap. It's a pretty serious business. Personally, big fan of GSP, great ambassador for the sport. His fighting style, you know, it's taken. Some people feel that he's lost a step. He fights a lot safer since he's been champion. Take that for what it's worth, but he puts asses in seats, and when he goes in there to defend that belt, depending on who his opponent is, he puts on a great performance. Johnny Hendricks, Martin Campman is going to be a war as well. I like Martin Campman. 
He does not fuck around. His striking is top-notch. He's definitely going to take it to Johnny Hendricks, who has pretty much napalm in his fists. So that's going to be a great fight to watch as well. Also looking forward to seeing Mark Hominick take on Pablo Garza. Hominick always is, a, is, a, is an exciting fighter to watch, and I'm really hoping to get another great performance this time around with him and Pablo Garza. On the Bellator side of things, uh, Bellator 78 took place Friday. A lot of good fights there as well. Lyman Good uh, took it to Mikhail Sarev via TKO strikes in the second round. That was the welterweight tournament semifinal. Um, Andre Koroshov defeated Marius Zaramskis uh, via TKO in the first round. That was also a welterweight tournament semifinal. Daniel Strauss defeated Alvin Robinson with a submission. It was a rear naked choke. And also Brian Rogers defeated Dominique Steele via unanimous decision. Uh, Zoyler Gurgel defeated Casey Nolan via unanimous decision. That was on the prelims. Um, it, it was a pretty solid fight. I mean, Lyme, seeing Lyman Good go in there, hand, take care of his, take care of work in there, what is always fun to watch. Now, of course, the welterweight tournament finals are set. That's going to be going down for Bellator 82. Lyman, Lyman Good and Andre Korosha, uh I'm going to fuck up Korishkov. There you go. That's going to be going down November 30th at Bellator 82. Uh, Bjorn Rebney said that the date isn't 100% set in stone, but that's the date that they'd really like to go with. So there you have it. Lyman Good, um, Andre Korishkov, Bellator 82. Bellator is always delivers great fights. I don't understand why people aren't watching this promotion. Free MMA. I, I mean, the tournament format turns off some people, but the fights are always solid and they deliver from start to finish, especially with this card. I was very impressed. MMA Junkie shared the finalists for the 2012 World MMA Awards, which recognizes achievements from September 1st, 2011 to September 30th, 2012. I guess October and November don't fucking count. Um, Ben does have a point. He says Bellator, nobody gets to watch it because it is on MTV2. Touche, sir. Touche. Hopefully when they hit Spike TV, we'll get a better audience for that promotion because... They really do have some good fights. And I'd like to see Invicta get a TV deal as well. Hell, I wouldn't mind seeing Invicta on Spike TV sharing the airwaves with Bellator. I think a one-two punch of Bellator and women's MMA would do good for the channel. Who knows? Hopefully uh, somebody's uh, listening over there at Spike TV and could do Shannon Napa solid and make that happen. Uh, Anyway, back to these uh, World MMA Awards. Um, A lot of nominations here people are going to complain about. I'm going to share them with you. Um, of course, some of you are going to agree or disagree with the nominees. First up, the Charles Mask Lewis Fighter of the Year nominees are Daniel Cormier, Nate Diaz, Ben Henderson, John Jones, and Ronda Rousey. Under the category of Female Fighter of the Year, you have Jessica Aguilar, Sarah Kaufman, Sarah McMahon, Ronda Rousey, and Misha Tate. Let's not fucking kid ourselves who's going to get Female Fighter of the Year, folks. Seriously. Breakout Fighter of the Year honors, the nominees are Henan Barrow, Michael Chandler, Luke Rockhold, Ronda Rousey, Chris Weidman. Again, Ronda Rousey is probably a shoe-in for that. And I like how Ben writes, hmm, I wonder who is winning that. Exactly. Ben is 100% right. International Fighter of the Year nominees are Michael Bisping, Alexander Gustafson, The Korean Zombie, Martin Campman, and Stefan Struve. Honestly, I would like to see Gustafson get that honor. Um, other than that, 
maybe Bisping just because he's a great ambassador for the UK. But Gustafsson is just a, a solid fighter. Um, we'll see what the deal is with that. Ben would like to see Korean Zombie get the honor. He another another guy that definitely is in there for uh, deserving that. Now, fight of the year. This is going to raise a lot of eyebrows because of the nominees. Jamie Varner versus Joe Lazan from UFC on Fox 4. Dustin Poirier versus Chansung Jung from UFC on Fuel TV 3. Jake Ellenberger versus Diego Sanchez, UFC on Fuel TV 1. Michael Chandler versus Eddie Alvarez, Bellator 58. Dan Henderson versus Shogun, UFC 139. That is my fucking pick. Seriously. All those fights were good, but but Hendo and Shogun beat the shit out of each other. And and it needs to be acknowledged. Needs to be. Knockout of the year. Adam Kaliev versus Alexei Belaev, uh, League S70. Edson Barboza versus Terry Etim, UFC 142. Stephen Thompson versus Dan uh, Stigian, UFC 143. Anthony Pettis versus Joe Lazan, UFC 144. Brian Rogers versus Vitor Biana, Bellator 61. Ben says that Michael Chandler and Eddie Alvarez will be his fight of the year. You know what? I got to give that to, to Ben. That's a that's a solid pick, but Hendo and Shogun, fuck me, that was insane. Anyway, submission of the year. Korean Zombie versus Dustin Poirier, UFC on Fuel TV 3. Ronda Rousey versus Misha Tate, Strike Force, Tate versus Rousey. Husamar Palhares taking on Mike Masenzio, UFC 142. Charles Oliveira versus Eric Wisely, UFC on Fox 2. Frank Mir versus Nog. UFC 140 with the arm break. Yes, that is definitely up there. Definitely, definitely one of one of my one of my picks for that. Just because, Jesus Christ, man, just just seeing Nog's arm break was was bananas. Comeback of the year: the nominees: Alan Belcher, Mike Swick, Frank Mir versus Nogueira from UFC 140, Tim Bocek versus Yushin Okami UFC 154. J.P. Juvray versus Norman Wessels from EFC Africa 15. I don't know. All of those were, were solid. I mean, Mike Swick had a, had a really good comeback as well, but those were all solid picks. I'm torn with that, so I'm not even going to give you my choice. Sean Tompkins, Coach of the Year. The nominees, Rafael Cordero, Cesar Gracie, Greg Jackson, Javier Mendez, and Andre Pederneris. Out of all those, probably Greg Jackson, maybe Caesar Gracie, either of the two would go um, in my book. Regards to in regards to Gym of the Year, American Kickboxing Academy, uh, Caesar Gracie Jiu Jitsu, Jackson Winklejohn, Kings MMA, and Novo Niao are your nominees for Gym of the Year. Ben says I need to see the fight from EFC Africa. Okay, I will put, add that to my homework. Referee of the Year. <laughs> Herb Dean, Mark Goddard, Big John McCarthy, Josh Rosenthal, and Mario Yamazaki. Probably Herb Dean out of all of those, maybe Big John, but Herb Dean would be my pick for that. Now here's a good one. Ring Card Girl of the Year. Now, once I read the nominees to you guys, tell me who you guys know is going to win. Jade Bryce, Ariane Celeste, Kelly Hutcherson, Brittany Palmer, and Mercedes Terrell. 
do yourselves a favor. We all know Ariani's going to win it, but please look up Mercedes Terrell. That's all I got to say. Look up Mercedes Terrell and get back to me. That's all I'm saying. But uh, really, that's an award. Uh, anyway, leading man of the year, Victor Cui, Lorenzo Fertitta, Shannon Knapp is up for leading man of the year. Fuck, she deserves it. Bjorn Rebney and Dana White. Obviously, they'll probably toss it to fucking Dana White because let's not kid ourselves. That's what happens. But I'd give it to Bjorn Rebney or Shannon Knapp only because Shannon for her great work with Invicta and Bjorn Rebney just because somebody give that poor guy some love, man. Just always, always in the shadow of, of Dana White in the UFC. And Bjorn Rebney's no slouch. He's a good businessman, does good work with Bellator. So I'd like either one of those to win, but you know it's going to be Dana White. Seriously. Personality of the year, John Anik, Bruce Buffer, Mauro Ronaldo, Joe Rogan, and Boss Rutan. I, I love Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan's an awesome personality, but but Boss, Boss is my dude because he is a psychopath. I, I just I just love his analysis of the sport. Uh, he does really great work on Inside MMA, and he really his interview with Rampage was super fun to watch. Just because the the chemistry between him and some of those Pride guys is just it's just something you can't write. So Boss would be my pick. Obviously, my secondary pick would be Joe Rogan, but Boss is my first pick. Best promotion, seriously, Bellator, Invicta FC, One FC, Strike Force, and the UFC. I'm not even going to tell you how that's going to go. You guys would you guys can figure that out. Best lifestyle clothing brand, Bad Boy, Dethrone, Head Rush, Punishment, and Tap Out. I'd probably, I'd probably throw, um, I'd like to throw, I, I don't know, I like Punishment's uh, designs, and, you know, Tito puts a lot of work into that, and Bad Boy as well. Uh, tap Out, when, when you can buy Tap Out clothes at Sears, that's a, that's a bit of a problem. So, no. Um, best technical clothing brand, Bad Boy, Clinch Gear. Hayabusa, Jocko, and Venom. Um, I, I like Venom stuff. The stuff Venom puts out is really cool. Uh, Bad Boy as well. With regards to best technical equipment, uh, Everlast, um, Fairtex, Hayabusa, Praetorian, and Venom for best technical equipment. MMA Media Source of the Year, ESPN, Inside MMA, on Access, MMAFighting.com, MMA Junkie, and SureDog. And lastly... MMA Journalist of the Year, Karen Bryant, Ben Folks, Gareth A. Davies, Ariel Helwani, and John Morgan. I'd like to throw in uh, my write-in pick to Front Row Brian with that. Um, I've just been told that Max, uh, Max Geiger's on the line. We were actually supposed to have him on last week. He couldn't get clearance, and um, I'm guessing he did get clearance. I didn't hear anything back from him. I figured he, was, uh, he hadn't gotten clearance yet, but it's a uh, pleasant surprise, so... Let's get into it. Let me bring Max on the line. Max, welcome hey, back, Rich, buddy. How's it going? <laughs> Sorry about that, man. Sorry about not letting you know. Yeah. Oh I'm man. CC on the email. I missed it. Yeah, it's um. It was funny because I said to myself, "Oh man, I guess uh, Max didn't get clearance to come back." So I figured that you know that's where you were. Yeah. No. 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 Just uh, it took a, l- a little time. That's all. That's all. So how how are you doing, man? You staying dry? Oh uh, yeah. It was. We're good over here. We had um. You know, a lot of areas outside, a lot of low-lying areas were were were, were hit bad. Um, we got power here. We, you know, like I said, a couple of shingles. We lost some siding and stuff, but but we're good. But other areas, oof, other areas, bad yeah. news, dude. Looks like Mad Max out there. 
No, we've been we've been watching it from the office a little bit. Our uh, our level designer Ben Esposito has got family on Long Island, and our uh, technical director Josh Sarfati has you know some family out that way too. And you know they've been hearing reports of flooding and whatnot. And it's been I don't know you know we've been we've been watching it pretty nervously, but it seems like the worst of it's over. So that's good, I guess. Yeah, I mean there was there was a, there were a lot of areas um, that, that were just it was just hard out there, but. You know, they're bouncing back. I mean, Long Island Power Authority, uh, LIPA over here, they kind of been getting beat up by the press a lot just because, you know, Con Ed is, is trying to get power up. But Long Island, you have a, a multitude of factors, obviously being surrounded by water, all the sand, um, just poor drainage out there. So just a perfect storm of stuff. Yeah. So for 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 those that, for those that are unfamiliar with Max, Max um, is a longtime friend of MTR. He did uh, amazing work on the deadliest warrior and he went on to have his studio giant sparrow which actually released their newest game on the psn network the unfinished swan so let's let let's get into the 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 origins of giant sparrow because we always talked about it a a little bit in passing during your time on deadliest warrior but tell me about the giant Mm -hmm. sparrow studio and how that came to be and where did you guys get the idea for the unfinished swan (laughs) <laughs> sure, sure. So uh, Giant Sparrow actually started, uh, our creative director, Ian Dallas, founded uh, Giant Sparrow. Um, and we basically came together as a studio to make this game, The Unfinished Swan. This is this is our first game, and it just came out October 23rd on the PSN. So we're, we're still waiting to hear back about like the first week of sales and everything. Um, but it actually came out of a project that Ian put together in grad school. He had this class where he had to do like a prototype every week. And the idea of splatting black uh, paint on a white environment came to him uh, the one, I think it was an afternoon or something, where he was just walking up some stairs to his apartment and he was just thinking about how white the paint was in the stairwell. And then he just got this idea and built this prototype and just kind of ran with it because it was just so immediately powerful and visceral and so novel from anything else that was out there that it just seemed like a cool idea. So he showed it at a couple of places, and I knew him from school. Um, he asked me to help him show the game at the IGF uh, Independent Games Festival in 2009, uh, and that's where like things really came together with Sony, and they decided to publish the game, so they gave us funding. Uh, and he formed the company, uh, brought me on as a producer, and... Uh, that was, oh my goodness, like three years ago. Um, and since then, you know, we built up the company. So we started with like four people, built the company to like 12 people and uh, made the game. Yeah, it's, it's amazing because to, to think when you, when you mentioned Giant Sparrow on air, it was, it was, it was like almost, almost three years ago. And you mentioned it in passing. <laughs> yeah, it, it would have been like 2009 or something like that. Be, uh, maybe 2010 because that's when I was still doing Deadliest Warrior. Well, as crazy as it sounds, I know we're going to talk about Unfinished Swan, dude. Dude, what mm-hmm. happened? What happened? What oh, happened with that? Warrior? Yeah, dude. Um, what happened with it is I I had some disagreements uh, with the direction that they were taking the show in. Um, yeah, because and zombies and vampires kind of- is the way to go, right? <laughs> <laughs> it, right. Well, I mean, you know, what attracted me to the show in the first place was the idea of being able to work with actual history and science, and you know, that became clear that we were going to be doing less and less of that. I think, um, but uh, it was it was really just a matter of scheduling. I think, um, you know, I 
when it was becoming a more and more serious thing um, in 2009. So in 2009, 2010, we were shooting season two. And when we weren't, you know, when we didn't have a day on set, I would, you know, drive into the Giants Barrow office and work there. You know, I was always like, working when we had a moment, you know, in downtime just on my laptop or something like that. Um, and so, you know, when we hit that, that break between season two and season three, and, you know, season two didn't do quite as well as season one did, um, it was basically decision time. And what I wanted to do all along is make games, you know, I want to make video games. And Giant Sparrow was my opportunity to do that, you know, and to make The Unfinished Swan, which is a game unlike anything else. And so I was pretty committed to that. And then when the idea of season three came up, you know, it was clear that I wasn't really going to have time to do season three if I was doing Giant Sparrow stuff full time. And so I had to, I had to pick what I wanted to do. And, you know, frankly, I don't think Spike was too sorry. They wanted to take the show in a more macho direction. So that's when they brought on, you know, uh, Mac, I guess. I mean, you can't get much more macho than Navy SEAL. And uh, the um, the other computer guy whose name is escaping me at the moment uh, from Pipeworks, a uh, company that made the game for it. But, I mean, you've got a mustache. I can't grow an awesome mustache. Yeah, dude, but you have the awesome hair. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, that's, awesome hair is, is less macho than awesome mustache, I think. I guess I, you know, it, it boggled my mind that they that they published the game for that and they didn't pick your brain for the game, especially because I don't know you're a game developer. Right, it, it kind of boggled my mind too. Uh, and you know, one of the things that I got into uh, the first place to do was to you know hopefully work on you know whatever tie in game it's going to be. And then when that wasn't in the cards, it was kind of clear that you know it this wasn't going to be my future. You know. It was a it was certainly a fun job. I really enjoyed doing it. I you know, I had a blast. I you know, I got to work with Jeff and the doctor and a lot of really great people and do a lot of cool stuff, but it was clear that it's not a career. Yeah, I um it was funny. I I, I stay you know, I stayed in touch with uh with Jeff and uh Dr. Mm-hmm. Dorian and it was a it was such an awkward moment where I go, dude, what what the fuck happened with Max? And Jeff was just like, uh you know, and I and I kind of I kind of yeah. put him on the spot because every time every time you came on, it was you know you and Jeff had great chemistry and people were always like, hey man, you know Max is Max is a cool fucking dude and et cetera et cetera. So <laughs> you know it was it was it was so it's so cool. awkward. Yeah. It's kind of about hate on the internet, but I mean if you didn't hate on the internet, you must be doing something right. But yeah, that's, I mean that's an awkward question because you know it's it's TV and you can kind of like get contracts and say and every time you do the transfers. What happened uh, based on you know what you've seen and what you're doing. So uh, you know it's it, it's it's not like there's really one definitive straight story. I think you know even even now I'm still hearing you know reasons why I wasn't you know picked for season three or whatever. Well, um, I don't I don't know if you're downloading some stuff. You may you may want to check because you're starting to get the uh, the Skype robot voice. Oh, sorry, man. No, I'm not. I'm not downloading anything. Um, no. Is it so bad? A little bit, a little bit. You wanna? Right. You wanna just uh, hang up and, and dial back? Yeah, maybe. Or can I just call back in on a landline? Uh, yeah, call in on a landline. Just uh, hit hit yeah, one. Yeah, just yeah. uh, hit hit one and let Slick know it's you. All right, cool, man. I'll, right. I'll do that. Be back. All right, cool. Thanks. Yeah, we had a little bit of the robot voice going on. 
Uh, sometimes, sometimes that happens and I don't hear it. And then people call me, you know, or email me and they go, Hey man, what was up with the audio for that? But luckily this was one of the few instances where Skype and blog talk radio did not hate my soul. So, um, yeah, Max will be joining us. As I said, before we wrap things up, um, there was some MMA stuff. I just needed to toss out there. Um, Bellator 80 taking place November 9th, 10 fights set up already for that. Uh, main card MTV2, Joe Warren, Owen Evinger, uh, Vagni Fabiano taking on Rad, Rad Martinez. That's the guy's name uh, for the featherweight tournament semifinal. Mike Richmond is taking on Shabulat, uh, Shahamlaev. I'm always, I always mess up that guy's name. I probably messed it up there. That's a featherweight tournament semifinal and Darryl Cobb and Brett Cooper. That's for MTV2. On the prelims for Spike.com, you got your fights there as well. Uh, Mike Quinones. Brandon Gertz, Robert Otani, Cristiano Souza, and a couple of other fights. You can watch those on Spike.com. UFC Brazil has new coaches. Um, Antonio Nogueira and Fabricio Verdum will be the coaches for the second season of the Ultimate Fighter Brazil. I actually really enjoyed the first season. Uh, For those of you that don't know, Nog was a coach before for Season 8 against Frank Mir. Um, Nogueira lost a fight to Dave Herman at UFC 153 in Rio via submission. But he went back and forth, a couple of good fights, of course, the arm break from Frank Mir. Verdum re-signed with the UFC after Strike Force, beating Antonio Silva and, of course, Fedor. So um, he last fought in Brazil, TKO win over Mike Russo. So what's going to happen is they're going to start shooting that season in 2013 with the debut expected in March. Uh, a couple of tryouts already went down at UFC 153 in Rio. So... It's good to see the UFC Brazil season. I really enjoyed it. I thought they handled it very well. They kicked ass, and it was fantastic. Speaking of ass-kicking Brazilians, Jose Aldo and Frankie Edgar's fight is official for UFC 156. So there you have it. That's going to go down February 2nd. No venue has been decided yet, but it's expected to obviously be the main event. Um, Also, in some sad news, uh, UFC President Dana White announced during the Metro PCS chat that uh, Stefan Bonner is retiring from MMA. Uh, obviously, last time you saw Stefan Bonner, he was being crumpled by Anderson Silva. But I like Stefan Bonner. He was great for the sport. He loved to go out there and just bleed for us and entertain us and put on great fights. And, um, of course, his fight with Forrest Griffin, fucking epic on a thousand different levels. So I'm sad to see him retire, but he, he knew his time was up and he left on his own terms. So much respect to Stefan Bonner and I wish him luck. Now, of course, we got to talk a little bit about John Jones, who was quoted as saying that he will be making the jump to heavyweight, possibly at the end of 2013. So there you have it with regards to that. Um, also, Dana White spoke about the super fight between John Jones and Anderson Silva, and he says, I guarantee you that fight will absolutely happen. Uh, for Anderson Silva, it's very interesting. It puts him in a unique position because he can go down, have a super fight with GSP, or go up and have a super fight or a title fight with John Jones. Definitely a good day to be Anderson Silva. Um, Slick just informed me that Max is back. Let me bring him on. Max, welcome back. Hey. All right. <laughs> there you go. Much better. All right. But, but before we hung up, of course, you were um, telling me what happened with the situation with the Deadliest Warrior. And um, like I said, it was it was it was bum. But I'm but I'm glad you're finding success. With the unfinished Swan, um, our very own Slick is actually playing it a- as we speak, and he's um, posting quite a few achievements. I have it as well, and I played a little bit of it when they did the uh, the preview 
on uh, PSN. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I got to tell you, it is probably the craziest thing I've played second maybe to Limbo because Limbo was just so <laughs> weird. The champion Come on, man. That's a uh, to, and you know to be grouped in that category is is just it's kudos to you guys for your work, but the yeah. concept was so we're, insane. Yeah, we're, we're definitely we're very flattered and very honored to compare to Limbo because it's a, it's a pretty good game in its own right. Um, yeah, I mean we really just set out to make something that would you know shake up people's expectations. And, you know. It's something, you know, back to people who've been playing games for a long time and wanted to see something new and something different, uh, but also make the kind of game where people who didn't, you know, play games or don't necessarily like to play games would be able to play it and get something out of it. Yeah, I think one of the one of the best parts with that is the fact that you know, especially with with PSN and Xbox Live games, uh, there's so many innovative and creative ideas coming out. I, I mean, like I said, Limbo, Bastion. Just, just you see these crazy games come out. So to see you guys put out something that was just completely out of this world, and especially in a period where so there's so much rehash going on, you know, it's it's a testament to to just somebody having a crazy idea. Yeah, man, definitely. I mean, you know, we when we made this game, we knew that we didn't want to make a game about being you know seven foot tall space marine running around in powered armor, you know, stomping different aliens and you know insects and things like that. Um, which isn't to say that, you know, we, we dislike those games. I mean, I definitely think there's a, a place for them and a spot for them, but we did just want to try something new. You know, we wanted to try to bring a, a different flavor and kind of a surreal experience out there in the world. Well, one, one of the things I wanted to ask with when, when you were putting that game together and you started seeing the concept, because I, I can imagine that, uh, you know, when, when your colleague explained it to you and you kind of saw it live, it painted a di- you know mm-hmm. no, no pun intended it painted a different picture how how was that just seeing that that vision the first time kind of when you got the raw the raw look at the game yeah the first time i actually saw it is when ian brought it into uh the lab at school as a prototype and actually hooked it up to the projector and i remember being blown away by it because seeing just the like the black spot and white like on a wall like an actual human scale wall was kind of mind blowing. And I thought this is really cool. There has to be a way to bring this to the world. Was your intention always to make sure that the game uh, was released, you know, on a PSN or Xbox lifestyle platform, or were you guys shooting uh, more so for something like steam going PC based? What was the, what was the initial motivation for with regards to a release platform? Yeah. So, so platform, basically came about as um, just an effect of working with a publisher. Um, and we knew that Sony would be a pretty good publisher to work with, or what well, we guessed that Sony would be a pretty good publisher to work with, um, because we knew the people at that game company, the people who made uh, Flow, Flower, and uh, Just This Year Journey. Um, and they had had a uh, three-game deal with Sony, um, so we were able to pick their brains about what their experience had been like, and you know, we learned from them that Sony was a very supportive company uh, for games like this, and Sony has really helped us out a lot. You know, they really helped us get the funding that we needed, you know, the space and the equipment that we needed, and oftentimes, you know, support and advice uh, that we needed. Um, so we got to deal with them where we're actually incubated. So our company is actually inside their Santa Monica studio. Um, at the other end of the building from where they made God of War. Um, wow. So we actually have to talk to a lot of people who make 
know, God of War, and they got to help us out and give us advice on the project as we were making it, and it's been an absolutely invaluable experience. Well, one of the things with, especially being in, you know, in an area like that, do you, do you feel that it helps and, and pushes you and inspires you more than versus just being in your own independent space? Because sometimes, and I've seen this a lot with, with companies that do, um, you know, the crowdsourced offices where all the small companies are in one space. Do you feel that it's better Mm -hmm. from a creative standpoint to be in that sort of an environment versus being in an independent studio separate you know, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I can't really compare it to being in an in independent studio because we weren't in, you know, our own isolated space while we were making this game. Um, I mean, there's there's pros and cons to each way that I can imagine, but um, it was great to be, you know, sort of tucked in Sony and be able to get their feedback really easily um, and be able to, you know, talk with them and work with them uh, just on, on a very cool sort of casual basis almost. Well, that's, I mean, the... That was more so the intention of how I worded it because it's easy. I really, especially with something like that, just being able to walk down the hall and being like, hey, you know, we're working on this idea. What do you think? Versus, hey, you know, we're sending this over to you. Let us know what you think and send it back. Right. It just, right. This is our formal submission. We're going to need three pages of, you know, documentation back on what we think of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Did people wander over and and play it? Did people wander over and play it when you guys were working on it from uh, from the other studios? Um, well, we did a lot of playtesting. You know, uh, there was a period on the project where we were, where we were doing you know a playtest every week, um, and so it made it really easy to just you know grab somebody who hadn't seen the game before and you know sit them in front of the game and have them play it for a couple hours and be like, okay, what did you think about that? What were the problems? What did you like? You know, what could we improve? What what wouldn't you change? You know, all that. So we were able to get a lot of feedback over the course of developing the game, which was really instrumental. Did you feel, um, what were, did you also run any, any focus groups independent of, of the gaming community just with yeah. more random players? Yeah, actually, um, Sony has a, uh, they have a really nice setup in the Santa Monica studio where they actually have a focus test room which has got, like, five stations all set up, and then it's got uh, a video feed both of the game as being played by somebody who comes in the focus test, and a video feed of uh, that person's, you know, face at the time, so you can kind of see their emotional reactions um, to different parts of the game. And so that was actually a really great resource for us to be able to leverage. Um, so we have, I want to say, like, four or five, maybe six focus tests. As we were getting towards the end of the game, you know, different control schemes, different setups, and, and again, various stages. It was really, it was a really valuable resource to be able to bring in, you know, outside people and then just different groups of people. Like, we were able to get, like, around, you know, like five guys who were, like, hardcore called duty players, right? And then we were able to get, you know, uh, another week we were able to get, like, five people who were much more casual, you know, who, like, who prefer to play hard games and indie games, so the Xbox Live, PSN crowd, you know. That's good. I think I think having that 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 uh, you know diverse amount of of players also just helps you tweak the game with different sets of eyes looking at it. Because you know, one thing I've noticed just being a gamer and, and being involved in this is that uh, guys that that play a lot of FPS they view gaming a lot differently than those of us that play you know platformers, hardcore platformers, or hardcore um, you know fighting games. So it's good to see yeah. that because they 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 embrace the game differently. They look at strategies differently, which in turn I'm sure helped you guys tweak the game even better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had one guy come in. So we had a um 
uh, a debug function that we would use just you know while we were building a level where you could hold down a couple triggers uh, and the paint would just spray out right uh, and you can you can actually unlock this as the hose toy in the game uh, if you collect enough balloons um, and we had one guy sit down and this dude was like a really hardcore FPS player and you know we we stopped the game was not in debug. Uh, and then he started spraying paint faster than we'd seen anybody do it before. We're like, what is going on here? Like, is something broken? Did we forget to turn something off? And then we, we asked him about it and turned out, no, like, he's that hardcore that FPS guy that he's just pressing the trigger button so fast that it's faster than a debug tool. And that just blew our minds right there. And then we realized, oh man, you know, this is a guy that we just found who came and played the game. That means there's going to be thousands of guys like him out there. Oh yeah, absolutely hardcore. Like like I I play the FPS games in a more just just more casual setting, but guys that play yeah. it hardcore and you know they get Call of Duty the first day and they've already ran through the game and they're like a four star general, you know <laughs> those guys that they, they, they'll they'll definitely be good tools to use to debug your game. Yeah, man, absolutely. How's the um? I, I know you haven't got the numbers back yet, but I've been seeing uh you know obviously because. I know you all fair. You've been publishing so many positive reviews and so much positive feedback. How how did it feel seeing that first, like, hey, man, this game is amazing, uh, blows your mind kind of a review? I mean, it's it's felt pretty good so far. I mean, it, it's it's been really good to see that, you know, people are responding to the game in, you know, the way that we kind of expect it. Um, we wish that some of the reviews had been, you know, a little more positive, but eh, what are you going to do about that, you know? Um so yeah, the American press has been really good. The European press has been a little bit mixed, but you know, it it seems like everyone who is playing the game is at least getting something new and novel out of it, and that's really what we hope for. So it you know it feels good to have succeeded on those terms. Well, that's that, that's one thing too, and and I mean you can attribute this just to the changing of, of culture, but I've noticed especially you know talking about games so much and just playing them myself and and reviewing them that people sometimes play the games without the intention of enjoying them. They just play them with the intention of finding the, mo- the all the flaws possible. And don't get me wrong, that it's fine if, that, if that's your job, but what just happened mm. to the days where you'd play the game, you'd beat the game, they'd roll credits, you wouldn't even get an ending, and you'd feel fulfilled. You know, like sometimes you got to just suspend disbelief. Like when, you, when I looked at The Unfinished Swan the first time, I was like, all right, this is a little crazy. And then I realized that I ended up playing it. It was just therapeutic in process. You know, it wasn't stressful. It wasn't, you weren't weren't getting super angry about it. You just enjoyed it. You just enjoyed the experience. Yeah, man. I mean, that's, that's absolutely what we hoped for. Yeah, I, sometimes, and I can understand with, with with getting the mixed reviews in the UK press, but but again, some of these guys, and, and you know, you as a creator, you're reading it, you're like, really, that's what you didn't like? Like, like sometimes stuff like that just boggles my mind, because I'm, I'm like, really, you didn't like the level design, but did you like the whole game, <laughs> you know? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's I think, uh, a matter of, you know, I think a lot of their criticism has been fair when you understand their perspective. But I think at the same time, we've been able to show them something new. And so I think we succeeded on those terms. Have you guys been giving thought to ex- expand the game and go into um, mobile? You know, maybe iOS, Android? Uh, you, you know, bringing the game to something like iPad or even like the PlayStation Vita or you know PSP or something like that, 
Um, those are all things that we've thought about, um, but we're not really moving forward on that. We're, you know, we're starting on game training right now. We're starting to think about what that you know, experience is going to be. Um, having this game be mobile would definitely be interesting. Um, I think it would definitely be a cool experience to have, uh, but it's, it's not something that we've talked about with any sort of seriousness. Are you are you guys looking at any kind of DLC to go with the game, or are you guys just going to update it over time? I mean, this is this is pretty much it. Uh, there's one update coming where there's going to be a trial version of the game, so people who want to download it and you know give it a shot without paying for it will be able to play a little bit of the beginning. But you know that's still a month or so off. Wait, now that you got the game out and it's really to the general public, uh, how much how much time did you give yourself before you kind of went back in the lab to work on the next on the next project? Because I know a lot of a lot of yeah. developers, you know, <laughs> they take a couple of weeks, they go, they drink a few beers, they don't stare at a computer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean that's that's definitely the dream. We have not uh, had that moment yet. Um, we're we're actually going to do that sort of at the end of the year and then come back in the new year and you know give the. Uh, next project and an earnest start but right now we've just been sort of hanging out at the office reading the reviews you know getting the trial version of swan ready to go uh so it can come out and uh you know starting to poke around a little bit you know so so planting some seeds on the second project ah second second project uh, is the second project going to be along the same lines just something unique and original you guys going to go into a into something that's more uh just more, more the general general public, you know, FPS or adventure or platformer. I, I hope it's as original as this one, uh, but I really can't say too much about it right now. It's hopefully it'll be just as much of a surprise. Okay, fair enough. Um, <laughs> Sorry, no, I hate to tease it like that, but you know, it's it's right now. Uh, you know, even we don't know what it is. We're still figuring it out. You know as well as I do when 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 you were talking about stuff regarding the game even before it came out. How many times did I message you on Facebook like, "Dude, where are you at? Let me know when something comes out so we can talk." <laughs> so so you know I, yeah. I, it's okay, it's okay. But you know I, me just as somebody who who knows your work already just from what you've done and just you know the the, the great conversations we've had. I was I was just happy to see it finally come to light because like I said, it was just something that it just got super quiet. And I was like, damn, is Max I'm, still working I'm happy on it? That, yeah, I'm happy that we're finally able to, you know, let let it out into the world. And, you know, now we can talk openly about it. It feels good. I do I do have to say that using, um, you know, what you were saying with regards to, like, using, the like, the PlayStation Move would have been a cool idea just to use that to throw the paint. Oh, no, we, we actually do support the Move. You do? Shit, yes, I didn't know that. Move. I did not yeah. know that. No, so originally, originally we were going to be a move launch title, uh, but the schedule slipped a little bit from that. But uh, yeah, the the game is fully compatible with move. If you prefer to play with the move, you can totally do that. Note to self when I um, because I captured some video for the game, so I'll make sure to let people know that when I post the video as well. Yeah, no. Um, one of the things that we actually found is that. Uh, if you're playing with the move, you know, one person is sort of aiming and throwing the paint with the move controller, or you can you, you can use just the move controller by itself, then you can use either the Navcon or, you know, the DualShock 3 uh, as your other controller to control how you walk around. Um, and something that we saw actually people sort of invented spontaneously is we get pairs of people, you know, like bros or couples, 
uh, coming up and playing the game. And uh, one person would be sort of the, the paint thrower, and the other person would be sort of the walker. And they'd play as a team, you know, controlling sort of this one body, walking around, exploring the environment. One person throwing paint, the other person uh, controlling sort of footsteps, if you will. That's a that's a cool way to play it. Note to self: tell the wife to, uh, <laughs> to, to for us to play it that way because I've just yeah, been playing yeah, it with the regular. A, give it a shot, man. Nice. One thing I, I did want to ask, and this is um, the, this probably fall falls in line with just you working at the studio. Uh, when you when you guys finish the game and now you go to press, do you? also go out there and play any other stuff that's out there just for inspiration for ideas for another title you know how some people they'll read books when they're an author looking for ideas and inspiration oh yeah, Are... yeah, yeah. no i mean it's um it's it's not so much you know about playing other things in order to be like oh that's that's a cool thing like we feel that it's uh it's more like ah oh, that was a really cool moment i like how they did that um and you know we're constantly playing other games um not necessarily at the office but you know, we'll go home and we'll play games and we'll come back and we'll talk about them and we'll talk about the things that we liked about them, um, even things that don't necessarily make sense for our game or the kind of games that we want to make, just, you know, moments that we really enjoy. Um, Dark Souls, for instance, was kind of a hit around the office earlier this year, and I think we lost a couple of days of productivity there, you know, <laughs> just talking about all the different cool things that were in there and just how hard the game was and just, you know, comparing and sharing the different strategies that we had for moving through the game. Well, one one thing I, I had wanted to ask with regards to that, do you do you feel that the the independent game game development cycle, especially now on the PSN and Xbox Live, is is starting to become more appealing to, you know, just the mass market consumer? Like you can go and drop sixty dollars on the next Call of Duty and play it, but mm-hmm. I see more people inclined to, to support the indie titles and they're getting better recognition. Do you think that's just a changing of the times or just that the the quality of the hardware is helping uh, developers and creators put out their visions at at their you know at their biggest potential. Mm-hmm. Well, I think part of it is the maturity of the platforms. I mean, you you, you got to remember that like the PlayStation Three is like seven years old at this point. Um, and I think the other part of it is that there's a change in appetites. So people are looking for smaller experiences and a greater variety of experiences than you know just what was purely in the AAA market before. Um, I don't know if the AAA market is going to go away. I certainly hope it doesn't because I really enjoy, you know, those $60, you know, Call of Duty type games. Um, but I also enjoy, you know, the $5, $10, $15 games where you pick them up and you can just download them from, you know, maybe Steam. Maybe it's a Steam Greenlight kind of a thing, or maybe it's just an Xbox Live, you know, arcade game or Xbox Live indie game. And then you can just check out something that's different. Um, and at the same time, I think people have been making these smaller indie games for enough time now. You know, I think we're you know, five to eight years into when indie games first sort of you know, broke out onto the scene. Um, so there's been some time now, and people have a better, I don't know, there's, there's uh, I guess the community is shifting more towards quality, and you know, there's more indie games out there, so there's more quality material to choose from. So it's really possible to have just a very enjoyable indie experience uh, or as many really enjoyable indie experiences as you want and as you have time for. Well, th- that's that's one thing that I've really noticed, especially even in my own habits. Like I'm playing a lot more indie titles because, you know, you pick them up, you drop you drop five or ten bucks. And you're like, all right, this this was mm-hmm. solid. You know, I, I put in 
12, 13 hours of gameplay. I mean, one of the one of the last games I played, and even though it was a bit more mainstream, was um, before I started uh, playing Unfinished Swan, was Double Dragon Neon, which I reviewed. And I was just uh-huh. like, these guys are insane, <laughs> you know, just because the concept was so out of this world, yet the medium was so familiar to me. So it's good to it's good to see you know the indie publishers getting getting just just better exposure because there's so much creative talent out there. I mean, like you said, the AAA titles are great, but seeing these these smaller, uh, easily consumable games out there is just is just a a great thing just for the industry and as a whole. Yeah, and I think it's I think it also points to the fact that uh, we can explore a greater variety of topics. You know, you can have more experiences and different experiences from what you would typically get with fewer bigger games in a year if you're checking out the smaller indie side of things. Do you feel that with the PS3 being, you know, you mentioned it being seven years old, that the system still hasn't reached its full potential from a debt, from a development standpoint? Um, that's a tough question. I mean, human beings are very creative and I think, you know, we could have another 10 years on, uh, the current generation of hardware and people would find out, you know, cool ways to do new things. Um, but I think people are really interested in moving on to what comes next. Um, I recently just built a PC and just been sort of getting back into PC gaming, uh, after being out of it for a couple of years, and I'm just astounded at what you can do now and, you know, what is out there, um, just how far you can really push the quality bar on the PC. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, consoles either catch up to that or leapfrog that or, you know, do something different. Um, but I think people are ready to try and see what's for the next level of hardware capability is going to bring to games. Well, on the subject of the next level and hardware capability, you know the um, the Wii U is is slated to drop seventeen days. Well, now sixteen days from today. How do, oh my how do you, goodness! Is it, is it that close? Yeah. So uh, with regard, yeah, exactly. With regards to that, how do you how do you feel with 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 regards to just Nintendo's console and where they're going with it? I honestly have not been following it nearly closely enough. Um, you know, this is, uh, yeah, I, I knew that there was such a thing as the Wii U, and the screen controller certainly <laughs> seems pretty cool, but I, I don't know enough about it. I mean, I've heard some people have had really good experiences, they had a couple of games on it, um, but I, I don't really know enough about it. Oh, okay. I was, the, the reason I, I asked you that is because there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of developers that are, you know, releasing their AAA titles on here. You know, we had, we had the guys from Darksiders on here, and Darksiders, is going to be a launch title. So it was just weird to, to you know, get some insight from another developer on what they thought of the system. Um, it, it, in your case, though, I can I can see why that's the case, just being so consumed with getting the unfinished swan out there. But <laughs> now, now you know you got 16 days away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll have to see uh, when it comes out what what people's reactions are. And, you know, maybe, maybe if I got the scratch, I'll pick one up. I will tell you, looking at looking at the unfinished Swan, um, I I would have thought, and and this was something that, looking at it, I said I said you know maybe if they ever do an, a a second game, it'd be it'd be crazy to see if you were doing it in the reverse instead of throwing the paint to show the locations, you were throwing the paint to cover the locations, like oh man, I got to cover this hole before the guy falls in. <laughs> 
you know, or or these projectiles um, are flying at you, and you got to cover them. So it was just weird because you know, I I I look at games in such a weird way sometimes. Like, wow, that'd be pretty pretty cool if they did it in reverse. Yeah. Now you know. No, I mean, there's there's some meat there. I mean, we we prototyped some things that weren't exactly that, but I want to say it could have gone in that direction. Um, and yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's uh, if somebody were to make that game, I would uh, definitely play it. Well, keep that in mind if you guys do a second one. <laughs> All right, man. There you go. All right, um, that wraps it up. I, I just you want... go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I, I, I probably got to get to getting, um, but... No, I was actually going to wrap it up and um, just, yeah. a, just ask, um, uh, obviously, uh, they can go to Giant Sparrow's official website, but is there any, any place else that people can keep up with you just besides Giant Sparrow's website? Yeah, um, you know, people can check out our Twitter. Uh, we've got a Twitter account uh, at Giant Sparrow, um, and we're also on Facebook. Uh, there's both a Giant Sparrow Facebook page and uh, a Swan Facebook page. All right. Well, Max, it was it was great hearing from you, man. I, I appreciate you taking the time out, trying to get approval to get on the show, and uh, you know, definitely keep in touch. And as soon as you got something new on the pipe, you know, I'm going to harass you to get you back on. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, See you well, around, it was, man. It was great talking to you, Rich. Yeah. Take hey, care of yourself. Stay dry and, uh, yeah, have a good one, man. All right, brother. See ya. All right. Bye. All right, guys. That was Max Geiger from Giant Sparrow, makers of the Unfinished Swan. You can pick that up on your PSN. And um, it's, a, it's a crazy, crazy game. Super unique. Um, like I said, Slick is playing it. He actually is going to review it. And I know that his review and I'm sure him and I will get together. Maybe we'll, we'll set something up and we'll capture some gameplay for you guys to check it out because it is, it is so unique and, and so different. Like I said, comparing it to limbo and bastion and games like that, it falls into that same category where it's not something you'd expect to see just something so different. And like I said, it for me, it was very therapeutic. I'd equate it to, I like to play little big planet for therapy and I'll tell you why. I am an angry, angry son of a bitch. If you haven't figured that out yet, then you haven't listened to the show long enough. But incredibly angry. Incredibly. Um, and I actually play games like Little Big Planet for therapy, just to mellow myself out. Because it's like you play a fighting game, you get super aggressive. You play Call of Duty, you get killed a lot, you get mad. Play Little Big Planet, play some user created levels, everything is good. So, you know, the the Unfinished Swan falls into that category. So make sure you guys check out Giant Sparrow's website and also pick up the Unfinished Swan on the PlayStation Network. Anyway, let's wrap up this week's MMA segment and go into wrestling. Um, first off, as I mentioned uh, before Max came back on, Dana White is looking to make that John Jones-Anderson Silva super fight happen. I really, really hope it does. I'd like to see... Anderson Silva also fight GSP, but I think in Anderson Silva's case, I'd like to see him make the jump to 205 full-time and then give us that fight with uh, title implications. Obviously, the super fight is is a fantastic concept, um, but I think that going with the title on the line is just a better option, in my opinion. While we're on the subject of John Jones, you know that he and Chael Sonnen are coaches for the next season of The Ultimate Fighter. Well, Chael Sonnen announced that, and well, MMA Junkie spoke to Chael Sonnen, and Chael Sonnen said that Dan Henderson is going to be one of the coaches on The Ultimate Fighter with Chael Sonnen. He's going to be one of his assistant coaches helping him out. 
Also assisting will be Clayton Hires, Scott McQuarrie, Jamie Huey, Mike Dolce, and Vinny Magalesh. Also, Randy Couture is expected to pop in as well. So it's going to be a very, very interesting season, not only for the fighters on that season, but also for just Chael Sonnen being able to work with all these guys. And you can watch the development of him as a fighter with this fight with John Jones. It's really something to look forward to. Um, I think uh, this season should hopefully turn the Ultimate Fighter around, but we shall see what happens. Last thing to wrap things up, a lightweight fight between Melvin Gillard and, get this, Jamie Varner has been added to the Tough 16 finale going down December 15th at the joint Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Vegas. That's going to be on FX, obviously main event, Shane Carwin, Roy Nelson, the Tough 16 tournament final, Pat Barry taking on Shane Del Rosario, Melvin Gillard, Jamie Varner, James Head taking on Mike Pyle, Jonathan Brookins taking on Dustin Poirier, Nick Catone and TJ Wahlberger, uh, Rustan, uh, Rustam, excuse me, Kabalov taking on Vic Pinchel, uh, Ruben Duran, Hugo Viana, also Marcos Venetius taking on Johnny Bedford, Tim Elliott taking on Jared Papazian, and John Kofer taking on Mike Rio. Again, that goes down December 15th to close out the Ultimate Fighter Season 16. All right, that's going to wrap up this week's MMA segment. Let's discuss some wrestling because there is actually quite a bit of news to discuss. Not only that, but we also got to discuss Hell in the Cell, which was, for all intents and purposes, a lot better than I expected, but not that good. We'll just leave it at that. Anyway, take it away, Booker T. Wow, did Booker T not want to play? I swear, fucking nothing wants to work this week. Let's see if this works. Yes, no, maybe, no. See this? This is this is the shit I'm talking about, folks. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! Alright, let's get into Hell in the Cell, which was surprisingly not a complete festering bag of shit. Anyway, the opener with Randy Orton and Alberto Del Rio went went exactly as expected with Randy Orton defeating Alberto Del Rio with the RKO. I I continue to stress the fact that Del Rio just doesn't work well with some of these main event guys. Not not only because of his in-ring style, but just because he is fucking boring. Boring to watch. You'd think that a guy who shares DNA with Mil Mascaras, who who is, has Lucha Libre in his blood, would deliver just a better, better match. It was so, so fucking boring. And then, uh, of course, with Randy Orton and his punch-kick-punch three-spot offense, you knew it was just going to be bullshit. <sighs> Kips is playing WWE 13, and he says, looking to win the Royal Rumble in WWE 13 with one of Rich's two favorite Puerto Ricans. One of them better be fucking Savio Vega. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know exactly who he's talking about. But anyway, moving on. The tag team championship match with Team Hell No and Road Scholars. I, I honestly thought they were going to put the belts on Road Scholars given how much creative loves their work 
but they ended up keeping the belt with uh, the belts on Team Hell No. I will say that Team Road Scholars is destined to get those belts. I just feel that calling them Team Road Scholars sounds stupid. Just call them Road Scholars. Um, putting team in front of it is just, just fucking. It's self-explanatory. We get it. Guy A and Guy B are forming a team. Hell no versus Road Scholars. It, it, putting putting team in front of it just sounds so stupid when they announce them. Seriously, just a small gripe on my part, but it sounds weird. Anyway, I will say Damian Sandow continues to improve leaps and bounds in every match. In every match, you get to see shades of brilliance, not only in regards to him as a character, but just in regards to him as a wrestler. He has so many great tools in his arsenal. He's doing tremendous work, um, not only on the mic, but also just improving in the ring. And he hides some of the flaws that um, Cody Rhodes has. Honestly, Cody Rhodes' mic work definitely not not on par with Damian Sandow, but Rhodes' wrestling has definitely improved as well. I think that this is a an instance where you have the guy whose talent is growing with the guy who's kind of a runaway train, and in that case, Damian Sandow playing the role of the runaway train is nothing is gonna be nothing good, but it's gonna be nothing but good things for him and Cody Rhodes, especially if down the roads down the road, no pun intended. You get the inevitable face turn, maybe by Cody Rhodes. You can have him feud with Damian Sandow, which would be good. I think Cody Rhodes is at a stage where uh, face turn, a face turn for him might might be might surprise some people, but it just might work with the right opponent. And if anybody would work with that, it's Damian Sandow. Your IC title match with Kofi Kingston and The Miz was pretty much academic at this point. Very wash, rinse, and repeat. Uh, with rumors stating that The Miz is going back to the main event scene, I can understand why this was the blow-off match. But I will say that the one of the reasons The Miz is going into the main event again is just because he's good in, in regards to media. He knows how to promote the company well. He's improved on the mic. And obviously, it's a reward for his hard work. But I will say that the only way that The Miz can succeed in the main event at this point is by giving him a feud with a guy that can help him step up his game. Putting him in a feud with a guy like, say, a Randy Orton, or turning him face and having him feud with an Alberto Del Rio, that, that, those aren't guys that are going to help The Miz become a better wrestler. If you're going to do anything with The Miz in the main event scene, you got to maybe turn him face and feud him with Punk, because Punk is going to bring the best out of Miz, not only as a as a as a speaker, but I think as a wrestler as well, maybe feud restart that feud with Daniel Bryan. That would work if you separate him and Kane, only because those are guys that can help the Miz evolve as a wrestler and as a as a character as a whole. Feuding with Kofi Kingston is good just to get the IC belt over, but I I felt that a, a long term feud with Kofi Kingston is just not going to help either one of these guys because Kofi Kingston's mic work is shit. And the Miz would just rip him to shreds. I think Kofi, he's going to need another year or so of just being in the upper mid card and speaking more frequently to help with his persona and his character. I mean, aligning him with R-Truth was one of the reasons that I felt that tag team worked because R-Truth's craziness kind of took the burden off of Kofi having to speak on the mic. So again, feuding with a guy like the Miz at this point isn't going to do him any favors. Kofi's a guy that needs to feud with somebody just as athletic as he is, and it would really work in his favor. We'll see what happens. I mean, uh, a guy like Kofi, I'd like to see him feud with a guy like Tyson Kidd. 
a heel Tyson Kidd or even just two faces that are competitive because Tyson Kidd is a great athlete and you'd let the wrestling speak more than the promo work. I think I think a nice match with those guys or even a Justin Gabriel and a Kofi Kingston would work. Those are solid matches. Um, Gabriel, of course, he was working with Damian Sandow, but maybe a, a Justin Gabriel or a Tyson Kidd with Kofi Kingston would really, really do wonders, not only for the belt, but just to help Kofi Kingston get to that next level as a performer. On the U.S. side of things, speaking of Justin Gabriel, he took on Antonio Cesaro, which we know Antonio Cesaro wasn't losing the belt anytime soon. But again, a good match, um, a great show of just a, a brawler versus a high flyer. Cesaro, again, delivering an awesome spot with the European uppercut in midair, using the gotch neutralizer for the finisher to secure the pin. Again, very, very solid work from both guys. Cesaro's a guy who, much like... Much like a guy like The Miz is, is definitely main event caliber. Much like Damian Sandow, main event caliber. And I think give him another three or four months as the U.S. champion and help that belt just gain traction again and then start moving him up into the mid-card. Because like I said, the IC title and even the U.S. title have always been considered, in my opinion, the title, the guys that are very, very close to moving into the main event and should be challenging for the belts. So hopefully Cesaro moves in the right direction and we see him in the upper card. Mysterio and Sin Cara, of course, took on the primetime players. And um, again, th- this match, definitely a filler match, in my opinion. Uh, Mysterio and Sin Cara continue to work well together. I think Mysterio also helps with regards to Sin Cara just working more fluid because he gets to not have to carry an entire match by himself. Just... To, in, in which, of course, we don't get to see botches. Not that many botches from Sin Cara since working with Rey Mysterio. Uh, the primetime players definitely have a tremendous upside. They're going to be a great heel tag team in the near future. Not yet, only because they're starting to hit their stride with regards to their mic work. But I definitely see them in, in, the, uh, in the tag team title hunt for the foreseeable future. Only because their gimmick is over and allegedly Vince v- really likes that gimmick. Sheamus and the Big Show, I honestly thought was going to completely suck. Only because, obviously, the Big Show is fucking boring. But it was a a surprisingly good brawl between both guys. Um, I really like the near pinfalls with the brogue kick and the knockout punch. Um, Big Show getting the belt. Make it make it what you will. Some people are like, you know, why the fuck did you give him the belt? But honestly, I've I continue to stress the fact that Sheamus makes a better chaser for the title than a champion only because his, his act was starting to get a little stale. I think him chasing for the belt works, especially with what we saw on raw Monday, which I'll discuss in a few minutes. I think those were the things that really helped in Sheamus's case, him losing the belt will just allow him to chase and, and continue his feud with the big show. Uh, Divas title match. We know Eve wasn't losing the belt as much as we all love Caitlin and think that she is just amazing looking. What are you going to do? Put the belt back on Layla. Not so much. Keeping Eve Champ works. The only problem is that the list of challengers for her is incredibly thin. So we got to really start stepping our game up and getting that Divas division a little bit more active because seeing the same four chicks challenge for the belt is definitely running its course. Now, of course, the big one, the main event, Ryback, CM Punk. A lot of people thought, and it was funny because I talked to a couple of guys I work with, 
Um, and they were like, hey, man, I think Ryback is going to win the belt. And they were shocked and flabbergasted when I said, look, man, Ryback isn't winning the belt. He's going to lose. And they were like, how the fuck is that? All this work that they've put into the character. Look, you have to look at wrestling sometimes as, as, a, as a gentle walk as opposed to a full-on race. CM Punk has stressed the fact that he has been champion for almost a year, which is, of course, is coming to a head at Survivor Series. Him acknowledging that the significance of that number is extremely crucial for his heel persona. So to allow him to lose the belt before he makes a year as champion wouldn't have done anyone favors. Not only that, but the way Ryback lost with um, you know involvement from the referee keeps Ryback safe, does nothing to hurt his character, and doesn't really count as a loss. That's how I see it. I think I think Ryback is in a is in a great situation now because the the enigma that that is his character can stay strong even though he lost because people still like him, people still cheer for him because they like the persona. They like the violence of his character. He comes out, doesn't say much and just pl- proceeds to obliterate his opponents. And that's the thing that um you know, it's definitely going to be something that works just because Ryback's character, it, it, as much as they compare it to Goldberg, Goldberg got the belt, and then it was it was a matter of, all right, the, the toughest guy has the belt, what next? In Ryback's case, yeah, you could give him the belt to validate the character, but it's really not necessary. It's really not. Uh, Kip's in the chat brought to my attention that the WWE Championship won't be contested at Survivor Series. So at TLC, CM Punk will surpass John Cena's 380-day reign as champion. Which, you know what? That may work. Maybe we'll see Punk and Cena at TLC with that exact uh, with that exact point being brought up. Him surpassing John Cena as champion. Who knows? I, I do have to say this, though. Ryback most likely will get the pinfall out on Punk at Survivor Series because since it's a, a a multi-man match, it won't hurt Punk's character. I'm sure there'll be some involvement from McFoley, but if Punk gives the pinfall to Ryback at Survivor Series, it's not going to hurt anybody. Simple as that. Kips is saying Cena versus Punk, then Rumble Cena versus Rock 2, WrestleMania Rock versus Punk. Based on the on the booking I'm thinking it's going to be Punk, Rock at the Rumble, Rock winning, uh, and keeping the belt to Mania, which I don't understand how they're going to make that work, considering, you know, he's not a full-time performer unless they plan on on going that route. But honestly, the way that Kips is painting it would be a, a better way just because it keeps the Rock in the spotlight, but it, it, you don't become dependent on him with being champion. Who knows, but... At this point, Punk and Rock definitely has uh, tremendous potential. I think that'll be one of those feuds that's just going to be legendary on so many levels. Obviously, the mic work and the build-up to the match. But I also think that The Rock, as competitive as he is, just as an athlete, is going to come in there and show us, hopefully, something different instead of his you know 1999 offense that we all know and love. We may start to see something different because Punk is not your regular wrestler. Not only that, but... Punk is Punk is a guy that he takes his time and he he's a he's a fan of the craft. 
and he's a fan of the storytelling. From what I've read on countless websites, they said that him and Ryback really worked very closely on ensuring that that match between them was phenomenal from start to finish. And regardless of whether you love or hate Ryback, he looked at home in the main event against CM Punk. He really looked like he belonged. And, you know, I I have to give credit to not only Ryback for that, but also CM Punk because, again, Ryback definitely at that point showed not only the, 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 the audience at home, but just people that didn't believe in his character that he does belong in the main event. And not for nothing, you need another monster face. Even if his mic work isn't great, he, he's a monster face that the crowd can get behind, and you need that just to take the, the the weight off of John Cena. Now, what I'd like to see is just another face get created to keep that main event fresh. You can't rely on the same five guys the entire time. So, it's good to see Ryback there. It's new blood. Whether you love him or hate him, at least it's someone different. Now, on the Raw side of things, obviously, Mick Foley shows up. And we're going to get a Team Foley versus Team Punk Survivor Series with the people being involved in their respective teams being announced at the end of the broadcast. Uh, The first match of the night was Ryback and JTG. Why? What did JTG do to anybody this time to have him get mauled by Ryback yet again? I do have to at least commend Ryback for actually speaking more than five words in in his post-match promo with Josh Matthews. So... You know, they're, they're, they're stepping in the right direction. Randy Orton and Wade Barrett was better than I expected, but not that great because, again, Wade Barrett and Randy Orton, it's just, I think Randy Orton's methodical-ass fucking wrestling style, just, just I guess it's it's sullied my, my opinion of him so much that he can be in there wrestling Jesus himself and it wouldn't be entertaining. So, you know. I, I do have to admit, though, that his uh, Strike First WWE t-shirt is pretty cool. I will say that. Team Hell No and the Primetime Players uh, was a complete mauling. I, I'm shocked that they didn't give the Primetime Players a bit more in that match. Uh, Daniel Bryan secures it with the no-lock on Darren Young. It was a little faster than I would have liked, and like I said, it just didn't give the Primetime Players a chance to to show the, the wrestling audience how they would fare against the tag team champions. It was way too quick. Maybe that was intentional. Maybe it wasn't. Of course, we get the angle advancement with Vicky Guerrero, John Cena, and AJ, and the quote-unquote improper relationship. That soap opera booking is just... It's just bullshit. It really is. I mean, unless the payoff is something super huge, nobody really gives a fuck about this. The champion versus champion match was... I expected it to go a little longer, but of course, The Miz got involved and the match ended in DQ, but I think that Kingston and Cesaro would have had a really, really good match. I'm shocked. I'm not shocked that they went the way they went because they want to continue the issues between The Miz and Kingston, but I expected to see more in that match just because both guys are on the cusp of greatness, but take it for what it's worth. Santino Morella and Zack Ryder were sacrificed to the almighty 3MB. Uh, in this case, it was Heath Slater and Jinder Mahal, accompanied by Drew McIntyre. 3MB secured the pin. Um, very interesting to see Slater use the overdrive, a.k.a. the playmaker play of the day for his finisher, because I could have sworn he had a different finisher at the time. I don't know what the deal is with that, but that finisher he used, I remember Randy Orton used it when he first started. Um... 
MVP, I believe, used it as well at, at one point. It, it, it's just so strange looking. It doesn't even look super hard hitting the way it's delivered. Hopefully they'll go back in the lab and give Slater a better finisher. I think he had a better finisher before that. For the life of me, I can't remember if it was maybe a DDT or um, or something along those lines. But definitely a lot better than, than the shit they gave him now. AJ and Beth Phoenix. Of course, AJ is back to being a diva. Beth Phoenix, this was her last match. AJ got the pin with a roll-up. And then Beth Phoenix, they had the match restart to give her the victory to send her on her way. Backstage, she was fired by Vicky Guerrero. And that concludes that. Of course, now Beth Phoenix, um, a lot of people are saying she's going to go into acting. Some people say she may go to TNA. Other people are saying that she's going to be assisting Edge, who is going to be getting neck surgery in November. And, of course, she dates Edge, so that would be why. But who knows? I mean, Beth Phoenix was severely, severely underutilized during her tenure there. She had a period where she was at the top of her game, delivering fantastic matches with a litany of divas. Now, not so much. Maybe maybe she'd be better suited to be a knockout. Who knows? But she definitely was underutilized, and I'm shocked it took this long for her to head out the door. My two favorite team, Mucha Lucha members, Rey Mysterio and Sin Cara, took on the Road Scholars in a, in a, in a very, very solid match. Um, of course... This time, the Road Scholars get the pin, and I was I was impressed not only with the pacing of the match because it moved very quickly, but as usual, the way that Damian Sandow sneaks in and delivers the neckbreaker, it was it was nice work. Um, the funny thing is that with Sin Cara and Rey Mysterio, you never know where they're going to go with them, whether they're going to make a, a firm push to put the the belts on them or not. But honestly, even if you don't put the belts on them yet. They're at least bringing out great matches from all the other tag teams on the roster. So I got to commend them with that. All right. Del Rio and Justin Gabriel. You know that Justin Gabriel push that everybody says was happening? Well, guess what? It was derailed by fucking Ricardo Montalban and fucking this douchebag Del Rio. It was was ridiculous. Again, in my opinion, guys like Justin Gabriel being squashed by guys like Del Rio, it just hurts them in the long run. Del Rio is not at a stage where he should be squashing anybody. You should put him in there, give him competitive matches, because every loss that you do to some of these guys, you know, the Tyson Kids, the Zack Riders, the Justin Gabriels, all those guys that you end up feeding to Del Rio that end up getting their asses kicked, you are hurting their value in the long term. When it comes to guys that aren't in the mid-card or upper mid-card, wins and losses are essential. They are fucking essential. And you go and you just you just get in there and you and you give it to Del Rio. Del Rio doesn't need to squash anybody. He is over in 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 WWE's twisted logic. He is over. Let it be. Give him competitive matches. Put him into feuds. If you want to do something with him, put him in feuds with guys that can help bring out a different dynamic. Putting him in a feud with Randy Orton is like taking two snails, putting them in a jar, and watching them roll around with each other. It is complete fucking boredom. It really is. There's got to be better talent out there that can make Del Rio step his game up. And yeah, you could say, oh, well, you know, his feud with Mysterio wasn't bad. Yeah, but it was so short-lived, and you didn't even get to see legit Lucha, Lucha Libre out of Del Rio. Del Rio just punch, kick, punch cross arm breaker, 
and, you know, calling Rey Mysterio a chihuahua, it didn't work. It just did not work. Anyway, to close things out, we had your main event angle with the announcement of the uh, members for Team Punk and Team Foley. For Team Punk, of course, Captain CM Punk, The Miz, Rhodes Scholars, and Alberto Del Rio. For Team Foley, Kofi Kingston, Daniel Bryan, Kane, of course, Team Hell No, and Randy Orton. Now, Mick Foley conveniently decided that he is not going to be in the match and that he is being replaced by Ryback, which I kind of figured they were going to go that route just because I don't think Mick Foley can go in there and do a complete match. I think you may get a match out of Foley against Punk, maybe for TLC, because I've heard rumblings of that. But I don't think he's going to go in there and be able to carry a full-on Survivor Series match. It just wouldn't work. So, of course, the bait-and-switch and throwing Ryback in there is fitting. Of course, there was the big brawl. Ryback in there just, uh, you know, trying to get himself over a little further into Survivor Series. The teams are fine, in my opinion. You get to close out a lot of feuds. You get to... Ex- Excuse me. You get to extend some feuds as well. So either way, it works. Um, we'll see how Survivor Series pans out. Now, TNA Impact. One, TNA Impact has become the Jekyll and Hyde for me with regards to wrestling. You get some really great wrestling one week. Then you get shit another week. Then you get 50-50 the week after that. Then you get good wrestling again. It's a vicious cycle. First up. They opened up with a non-title match, Samoa Joe and Magnus, which was, I expected it to be really good, but they decided to end it via DQ. I really hope that these guys actually get a full match. There's there's great potential, not only for Samoa Joe to have himself a bona fide uh, adversary that he can feud with for the foreseeable future, but I just think it allows Magnus to show us another side of him that would be good because he has tons of potential. The guy's been developing for the last couple of years and he's becoming a bona fide player in, in that roster. I think that if for argument's sake, Samoa Joe dropped the TV title to Magnus and Joe moved on to the main event, Magnus would do a pretty good job as champion. We had our gut check challenge with Christian York and Zima Ion. Um, Christian York has been around for a while. He's been, he's made a name for himself on the indies uh, going in there against Zima Ion, pretty solid match, of course. Um, Zima Ion gets the win via submission. We'll see if he gets the opportunity. I think Christian York may get it only because he's been around the way so many times. And um, the crazy thing, in my opinion, is that Christian York would do good in the X division. You need a couple of more guys in there, a couple of veterans, just to help round out a division full of so much young talent. ODB took on Jesse from Big Brother. You know, this was this was your your bullshit segment once again. Like I said, this was the uh, the go and take a shit segment. Um, but then again, you get Jeff Hardy taking on Robbie E in a non-title match. I don't know where they got the idea to do that. Um, obviously, I understand it's open fight night, but really, you give us Jeff Hardy versus Robbie E. Yuck. RVD took on Joey Ryan in a non-title match. Um, obviously this is setting up Joey Ryan challenging for the belt, which, you know, take it for what it's worth. Morgan, Morgan kills out RVD with the carbon footprint. 
which we all know was coming. It's very weird with Matt Morgan because I kind of have a love-hate relationship with his character. On one side, I think he has tremendous potential to be a main eventer and be a great face for the company. On the other side of the coin, sometimes I feel that he's completely bland and he relies on a combination of Goldberg-Kevin Nash offense, which, you know, it's okay, but I just feel that... For a guy who's so athletic, who's supposed to be, you know, the DNA of TNA, he just doesn't really give you much in the ring. It's punch, kick, punch, maybe the elevator, and maybe the carbon footprint. I don't know why he doesn't do the elevator anymore, which was a pretty cool name for a move. But clearly they want to get the carbon footprint over a la the Brogue kick. Bully Ray called out Devon. Yada, yada, yada. We know the deal. And we unmask a member of Aces and Eights. And who would it be? None other than Luke Gallows, who many of you may know as Festus. And there you have it. We've unmasked two members, Devon and Luke Gallows. Ugh. I mean, I know Luke Gallows got signed, but honestly, nobody gives a fuck about either one of those guys. Simple as that. Anyway, let's get into the rest of the wrestling news. Uh, First off... For those of you that have listened to MTR Beyond the Mic, you know we did an interview with the creative team of Roxer, and one of the guys involved with Roxer works also with TNA, and a lot of TNA talent are scheduled to work on the project, and one of the newest names announced to be involved is Showtime Eric Young. He's actually going to be involved with Roxer, um, which is going to actually be really cool. I think Eric Young's character is going to be the voice of Johnny Nova, um, EY... I may not be a fan of his as a wrestler, but he's a he's a cool entertainer. He's a fun guy to watch. So to hear him be involved in the Roxer project is all good. So we'll see how that pans out. I actually want to do a follow-up interview with the Roxer guys as soon as I get some more information about the project. I know they've released some stuff, but I'll catch up with them and see how far ahead they are, and maybe we'll bring them on for another live show. In some WWE news, WrestleMania 28, get this, is the most purchased wrestling pay-per-view of all time. The show did 1,253,000 buys, which beats out the record set by WrestleMania 23 in 2007, which was 1,250 uh, buys. The show did 733,000 domestic buys and 520,000 international buys. Of course, one of the things you should note and you should actually add an asterisk to is the fact that the domestic price has increased from forty nine ninety five to fifty four ninety five. Not only that, but thirty four percent of the orders were in HD, which makes the pay per view sixty five dollars. That price, of course, significantly higher than two thousand and seven. So there you go, WWE in the record books with WrestleMania twenty eight. Of course, validating why The Rock is The Rock and that he can generate that sort of a buzz. Obviously, you can attribute the buzz to the entire roster, but John Cena and The Rock, one one time only, quote-unquote, definitely generated the buzz that everybody was hoping for. My main concern is that if they decide to give us a second match, that it won't have the same appeal as it did initially, only because it's been done. Anyway, I gotta talk about CM Punk, obviously, besides the fact that CM Punk is awesome. He actually did an interview with North, with North, with NorthJersey.com, and he said that he would like to see Macho Man Randy Savage inducted into the Hall of Fame. He said, I hope that Randy would eventually get inducted into the Hall of Fame. We don't get to talk to Randy, share his stories anymore, and that part really sucks. And you know what? 
CM Punk is right. Randy Savage, regardless of, of whatever personal issues he has with, with Vince McMahon, the fact still remains that Randy Savage was essential to the WWF movement during the 80s. The guy was, was, was a staple, whether it was his feud with Hulk Hogan as the Mega Powers, all his other great matches. The fact still remains that Randy Savage is the guy that you could pretty much include in, in the holy trinity of WWF wrestlers at the time between Hogan and Andre the Giant. You got to throw Macho Man Randy Savage in there. Because that guy, those three guys, oh well, if, if you wanted to go and, and include a fourth guy, it would be the ultimate warrior. Personally, when I look at that genre, when at that era of wrestling, the guys that stick out to me the most as guys that were extremely influential were Hogan, Savage, the late Andre the Giant, Ravishing Rick Rude, Jake the Snake Roberts. To a, de- to a degree, Tito Santana and the model Rick Martel, Junkyard Dog, Hillbilly Jim. <clears throat> those were all guys that were just staples. Nikolai Volkov, of course, the Iron Sheik, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Th- those were guys that automatically you just think about. As soon as we start talking about old wrestling, those are the first names that come out. Of course, you can get into more obscure guys like One Man Gang, um, Akeem, the African Dream, the big boss man, of course, which we all know, and I wouldn't even group him in the obscure category. Uh, we could talk about the Mountie, those guys, Ted DiBiase, thank you, Dark Helmet, for reminding me. Those those are the guys you think about as soon as you talk about that era of wrestling, and almost all of those guys, in some shape or form, are always acknowledged by the WWE, with, with noted exceptions, obviously, the Ultimate Warrior, Macho Man, and for some reason, Jake the Snake. I don't know what Jake the Snake did, but the WWE just gives him no love. I don't understand it. Because Jake the Snake is probably one of the most influential heels in this business. I'd probably also include Mr. Perfect in there. Just because Jake the Snake did something which not only was ahead of its time. But just very, very methodical. Jer- you know, He went in there and he delivered some of the most just, just thought-provoking promos. And he was he was mysterious and he was deep. And you didn't know... What the hell was in the bag? What kind of snake would be thrown out? Nothing reminds me more of Jake the Snake than the match with Randy Savage where he actually had the snake bite Randy Savage in the arm, which I'm sure Kips and a couple of guys in the chat may remember that. I Who does that? What kind of a villain would you need to be to unleash a snake on, on, on a defenseless human being? It was the type of shit that that really just spoke volumes of him as a character. And to not see WWE give him the credit he deserves as being someone influential in that era just boggles my mind. Same thing with Macho Man Randy Savage. It's crazy shit, man. Really crazy. And I agree. Randy Savage deserves to be in there. And I hope this will be the year when that happens. In some other news, we got to send some well wishes to Lillian Garcia, who was in the hospital. She actually was um, hit by a car. Uh, she sustained a lot of uh, a decent amount of injuries, so you know we wish her the best. Uh, WWE reported that she was released from the hospital and she's actually home recovering. So wish her the best. It's it's crazy stuff, crazy stuff. I mean, it, I I actually when I watched Raw this week, I I think it was um what's his name doing the announcing, and I said to myself something doesn't seem right, and I forgot that Lillian was in an accident. So again. 
wish her a speedy recovery. And I think, um, I'm sure she'll be back. It'll take some time. Ah, thank you. Kips reminded me it was, uh, Tony Chimmel. Thank you very much. Now, it wouldn't be a wrestling segment without talking about everyone's two favorite bros that hate each other, Hulk Hogan and Bubba the Love Sponge. Where we last left off, Hulk Hogan was suing not only Gawker, but Bubba the Love Sponge and also Heather Clem, Bubba's wife. Now it seems that Hogan settled his lawsuit with Bubba. There were no financial terms released to the general public. Um, Based on what is said, Bubba the Love Sponge actually released a public apology as follows. After further investigation, I am now convinced that Hulk Hogan was unaware of the presence of the recording device in my bedroom. I am convinced he had no knowledge that he was being taped. Additionally, excuse me. Additionally, I am certain that he had no role in the release of the video. It is my belief that Terry is not involved and has never, ever been involved in trying to release the video or exploited or otherwise gained from the video's release in any way. Regrettably, when Hulk filed the lawsuit against me, I I instinctively went on the offensive. The things that I said about him and his children were not true. I was wrong, and I am deeply sorry for my reaction. And for the additional pain that it caused Hulk and his children on top of the pain they were already feeling from having learned that Terry was taped without his knowledge and the public release of the video. I am committed to helping Hulk and his attorneys find whoever is responsible for the release of the tape and holding them accountable to the fullest extent of the law. Here's a couple of things I want to discuss. When you're getting sued by your friend and you proceed to say that his daughter's a shitty singer and talk about the accident and, you know, saying that Linda McMahon, Linda McMahon, excuse me, Linda Hogan wasn't that bad. Clearly, that wasn't just instinct. That's how you really felt. I'm sure that Hogan put the squeeze on you and you figured, hey man, this guy's kind of in the right, especially because of the evidence that's on the tape that shows me talking after the tape is over. The fact is that regardless of how it went, that relationship between those two guys is fucking damaged. It's damaged. I don't care if they squashed it or they settled But Hulk Hogan is not going to look at Bubba the Love Sponge the same way, especially after going on Stern and going on that crazy-ass tirade he went on. On the flip side, I don't think Bubba the Love Sponge is going to be in the same same frame in terms of a relationship with Hulk Hogan. Think about it. The guy's suing you for millions of dollars. There is no way that I'm going to look at you differently after that. On the contrary, I may just never speak to you again. It's, it's really, really crazy. Hogan, though, is still continuing his lawsuit with Gawker, which is $100 million. Not only that, but he's also seeking damages from Heather Clem, who is now, of course, Bubba the Love Sponge's ex-wife. So who knows? Maybe she released the tape. Because from what I've read, they're saying that she has tapes, other tapes as well. So who knows? Maybe it was her that dropped the tape out because she wanted to make a payday, especially since she is now Bubba's ex-wife. Very interesting turn of events. As I mentioned at the start of the show, of course, WWE raised $1 million for Susan G. Komen, which is very, very cool. Uh, They raised funds throughout October via merchandise, of course, videos, and using pink in all their promotions. So I got to commend those guys for doing the right thing. $1 million. It was very cool to see John Cena present the check on Raw. Pretty badass. 
For those of you expecting to watch SmackDown tomorrow, it is being preempted from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. because they're going, of course, do a uh, one-hour benefit telethon for Hurricane Sandy. So there you go. Hurricane Sandy coming together on Friday, November 2nd from 8 to 9. They're going to be giving that on NBC, Bravo, CNBC, E, G4, MSNBC, The Style Network, Sci-Fi, and USA. So... Based on that, if you have your DVRs, make sure to change them because SmackDown will be given at 9 o'clock. So there you have it. Last bit of wrestling news to close things out. WWE held their conference call this week. A couple of things came out of that, which was, of course, one thing that I'm very excited to discuss, and that is the WWE Network. They decided that the network is going to be on a premium subscription model, similar to HBO and Showtime. That's how they're going to do it. Uh, they're fe- they feel that 35 to $40 million is what's going to be required to launch the network. They say that um, there's been a 57% interest in U.S. homes. 10 to 15 million households watch WWE regularly. And 20 to 40 million fans, uh, 20 to 40 million homes are casual fans with interest in the product. When asked about losing pay-per-view, Vince said that they are that it wouldn't hurt pay-per-view because they're going to have models for the network that will include pay-per-view and models that won't include pay-per-view. Very interesting because a couple of months back, you guys remember um, that the original thought was launching it as a premium channel and include all of the pay-per-views minus the big four. Obviously, Survivor Series, WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, and SummerSlam, and only using those for pay-per-view and then running the other ones on the network. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they're going to do this model. Maybe they'll put all the pay-per-views in the premium channel and do it that way, or maybe they'll do it on an a la carte basis where, like I said, they'll do the smaller pay-per-views and then keep the big four separate. Either way, I think going with the premium model is the best way to go, only because people were doing it already buying the uh the wwe on demand for 10 bucks a month so if they say you know you want wwe on your cable it's going to cost you 15 bucks a month or 20 bucks say you pay 20 bucks a month and you're getting a pay-per-view every month the average pay-per-view like i said if you're ordering them in hd is 65 dollars. so you're already just saving 40 bucks each month if you're buying every pay-per-view which i actually know a couple of people that do um, actually my colleague, he buys every pay-per-view, um, or they split the cost with, uh, you know, a couple of the kids' parents and that's how they do it. I think going that route is going to ensure the success of the network. Not only that, but it's going to allow WWE to set the tone and they could advertise. They could not advertise based on that. I mean, if you use, if you go a route like HBO and Cinemax, obviously you can just advertise your own product and do that. Maybe you'll throw some some ancillary tie-ins, maybe you know WWE products at Walmart, etc. But I'm sure that most of the commercials and stuff are going to be in-house stuff to promote other shows and other products. So there you have it guys, 35 to 40 million dollars to get the ball rolling. There is no launch date yet, but I'm sure now that this stuff was revealed during the conference call, we're going to be learning a little bit more in the coming months. <sighs> All right, that wraps up the wrestling segment. Let's get into some video games because there is quite a bit of news going on. Let's get it moving.
Clearly tonight is the night where nothing wants to work. Anyway, let's get into the gaming news. Of course, this was actually shared on the Facebook fan page earlier this week, and that is that G4 is closing the door on gamer culture. Now, you're probably asking yourself, what do you mean they're closing the door? Well, it seems that the network is canceling Attack of the Show and X-Play. Both shows will be coming to a close at the end of the year. The shows have each accounted for between 17, well, 1,700 episodes to 1,300 episodes, respectively. We all, we all know most of the key players in that. Kevin Pereira, Olivia Munn, Chris Hardwick, Adam Sessler. All of those guys got popular off those shows. Clearly, G4 is going in a completely different direction. And the demise of Attack of the Show and X-Play were... You know, it was something that you had to expect. Both shows, of course, will continue airing original episodes through the end of the year. But after that, it's game over. Look, I I was never a fan of G4. I always felt their programs were hokey. Some of them were contrived, completely inane, and utterly fucking stupid. But the fact is that you look at the shows like that that have done incredible things just for the gamer genre the fact that an entire network existed not only that but that they generated 1700 and 1300 episodes respectfully is it's huge you know respectively excuse me it's it's a huge milestone regardless of of whether you hated them or not you know to churn out 1700 episodes of gaming news and you know geek culture it's a big big milestone i think we're we're kind of in a changing of the guard phase where Spike TV is kind of becoming that network now. But it's, of course, catering to the 18 to 34 male demographic. Not only that, but Spike TV is trying to bolster their their catalog with MMA and original programming. But honestly, the, the G4 demise was coming very, very quickly. Like I said, just because they were already changing the, the direction of the network to more of a lifestyle network but also because there's so many other outlets offering similar content. Not only that, but they're offering content that you can consume at your own pace. You don't have to worry about listening to it. And not to say that we, you know, MTR falls in that wheelhouse, but we broadcast every week. You don't get the, you don't get daily stuff from us, even though I'd love to do it. But again, you can use podcasts. You can supplement it with uh, stuff from Machinima. You can supplement it with stuff from IGN. You can supplement it with stuff from Polygon, The Verge, Engadget, Joystick, etc. So the, the market for it was really just um, just going that route, which, it, again, it's sad. It's sad only because it's the end of an era for them. In some Dead Island news, which I'm, sl- I'm sure will make Slick happy, Dead Island Riptide will be released April 23rd in North America for the 360, PS3, and PC. In addition, the, uh, there's going to be a special edition released in North America. You're getting exclusive weapon mods, a map of the world, and a character skin. So there you have it. Dead Island Riptide, April 23rd is your day. Besides WWE's financial, uh, you know, quarter, financial quarter call, EA posted their uh, second quarter losses and third quarter losses as well. The publisher reported that they had a $381 million net loss. They brought in $711 million in revenue for the quarter, which ended September 30th. They did see a huge increase, though, in digital growth, you know, for FIFA, Madden, and Battlefield. Of course, DLC and all that stuff kind of helped them out. But 
they are already looking at the third quarter and it's looking a bit sluggish because Medal of Honor Warfighter hasn't taken off the way they expected. But they're already seeing some solid numbers from Need for Speed Most Wanted. Honestly, I think Medal of Honor Warfighter got a bum rap. I actually played a little bit of it in Best Buy a few days ago, and I thought it was a pretty solid game. I think that the problem with it is that the culture is so used to Call of Duty that anything that is not Call of Duty is just met with with disdain instead of being given a fair shake, which is kind of fucked up. I, I think Medal of Honor Warfighter has a deeper story and it's just a, a different style of game to play. I think that's one of the things people are so complacent with Call of Duty that anything that comes out that's not uh, Call of Duty related is automatically deemed shit, which is unfortunate. Regardless of the fact that, you know, I, I, I'm not a fan of EA. I, I think that games like Need for Speed, Most Wanted, Medal of Honor, they're, they're at least something different than the typical roster updates and, and shit we see from, you know, FIFA 13 and Madden. So... There you have it, $711 million in revenue, but they do have losses. In some other financial news, Capcom had a really, really good uh, first half. Uh, the company brought in $81.6 million. That's an increase of 134%. Uh, the sales and income have come in from Resident Evil 6 and Dragon's Dogma. Resident Evil 6 shipped 3.7 million units. There you have it. I mean... Um, the top-selling game for Capcom hasn't been released yet, only because their half, their their first half earnings posted on September 30th, and we all know Resident Evil 6 was released in October. But still, it's a it's a big increase for Capcom, especially after the 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 kind of lackluster year they had last year. So good to see them on the up and up. I did want to talk a little bit about the Ouya console, which after. The record-breaking numbers that they did on Kickstarter, they actually are in the news this week talking about uh, the system is now being upgraded to the Jelly Bean operating system from Android. Originally, it was going to be released using Ice Cream Sandwich, but now they are moving on to Jelly Bean. The games are already being worked on by developers, and they are going to be using the Tegra 3 system, which the system will use. Um... A couple of things, obviously, you know, the controller has to be factored in and the lack of push notifications. I don't know how that's going to work because I think push notifications would be a good thing to include for games with, with new DLC and things like that. But I think that, you know, releasing a console for 100 bucks with some of the smaller Android games is going to be very interesting to see how it compares against, you know, mainstays like the Wii and titles from the 3ds and things like that we're going to see how that pans out but i'm really looking forward to seeing how they plan to market this system and will it be something that can only be picked up online or are they also going to have a retail release as well all right so that actually wraps up the gaming segment for this week things were a little quieter than usual on the gaming front but i'm sure that will pick up closer to thanksgiving anyway Let's get into this week's entertainment news. Take it away. All right, let's open up with some box office totals. Surprisingly... Argo creeped up and took the number one slot, $12.4 million. 
Hotel Transylvania also took a nice nice increase and stepped into the number two slot. Cloud Atlas was number three. Paranormal Activity 4 was number four. Silent Hill Revelation was number five for its opening weekend with $8 million. Taken 2 was number six. Here Comes the Boom was number seven. Sinister was number eight. Alex Cross was number nine. And Fun Size was ten. This weekend, of course, we have The Man with the Iron Fists in theaters and also Wreck-It Ralph. So you'll probably be seeing a review from one of us this weekend for any of those films. Of course, that's also dependent on which theaters have power here in New York City. But one way or the other, one of those movies will be seen. In some other news, we have a new name getting tossed into the list of potential actresses that will be playing a love interest for Captain America in Captain America and the Winter Soldier. The Daily Express reports that Jessica Brown Finley, who is actually appeared in Downtown Abbey, is one of the front runners for the role. So there you have it. She joins the list, which includes Amelia Clark, Teresa Palmer, Imogen Poots, and Alison Brie as potential love interests for Captain America. <clears throat> Speaking of the Captain America film, it's been confirmed by Variety that Frank Grillo will be appear will be playing Crossbones in Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Also, we're going to see appearances from Colby Smulders as Maria Hill. Sam Jackson will be returning as Nick Fury, and Scarlett Johansson will also pop up as Black Widow. It's also reported, which I discussed a couple of weeks back, that Anthony Mackie will be playing Falcon. Now, funny thing is, Slick and I had a very interesting conversation, which this actually is a great segue for it, and it it regarded a couple of things. And first off, we were talking about Black Panther and, you know, why that character hasn't been seen on screen, etc., etc. And during our conversation, uh, the conversation shifted to why does Black Panther, obviously he's from Wakanda, um, always sound like a stereotypical African which I understand you may want to do that just because you want to kind of reference that in his delivery. But seriously, every time Black Panther shows up and he talks and he's like, you know, Mr. Stark, I think that this vibranium just will not work with your art. It's like, it's like, really? Why must you make him sound so stereotypical? I, and it's just, I guess it's just me, but I think it's, why can't you just make him sound normal? It's kind of weird. Like you hear him and he, and he just sounds... It, it's terrible to say, but he sounds like 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 a dollar cab driver, like one of the cab drivers here in New York City. I really think that just because Wakanda is you know a fictional African style nation in the comics doesn't mean that everybody that comes out of there is going to talk that way. Why not just let the guy talk regular? I mean, obviously, when you read the comics, you're not you're not really creating the voices that you're going to hear on TV. But it's just something that that kind of bugs me. It's, it's weird. I don't know, it's maybe just because I, I think that the character always gets kind of shortchanged, but I'd expect more from a character like that. Same thing when you look at, uh, you know, we were joking about Samuel L. Jackson and Nick Fury, because whenever you look at Sam Jackson, you automatically think of him yelling. So Slick and I were on the phone for 20 minutes joking about what if Nick Fury was Sam Jackson all the time. You know, translation, you know, hey, Bruce Banner, why don't you turn into that big green motherfucker and punch this giant flying ship and shit like that. Like we were we spent 20 minutes joking around about Nick Fury 
being Sam Jackson. It, it was, it was, it, why we did it, I don't know. I think part of it was just because I was wired on monster energy. But it's just like, can somebody tell this archer to shoot a motherfucking arrow? Look at, look at the Black Widow's ass. Look at it. It's flawless. <laughs> it's just, I honestly, if Chappelle's show was still on the air, I would love to see Dave Chappelle as Sam Jackson as Nick Fury in the Avengers. I'd probably lose my fucking mind because it is it is ridiculous that Sam Jackson can never escape being Sam Jackson. Like, I used to look at him in the Star Wars trilogy and i expect the same thing. My lightsaber's purple, bitch! Look at this little green motherfucker. His name is Yoda. I take orders from a puppet. <laughs> Seriously, like, that's the kind of shit I, I look at with Sam Jackson with Sam Jackson, it's fucked up just because he, he's a he's a good actor. He's 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 great in everything he does, but I just look at every role he does as just him being him and not him portraying any sort of a character. Seriously. But needless to say, that's what happened after MTR went off the air last week. It was Sam Jackson impersonations as Nick Fury. It was it was ridiculous. One day I'm just gonna record all that shit and Make that a B-side and drop it <laughs> drop it on the app for the listeners to hear. Who knows? Maybe that'll happen in a couple of weeks. Anyway, moving on. The Rizzo, which we know will be in The Man with the Iron Fist, is gaining uh, quite a following in Hollywood. It seems that they are considering him to direct a uh, Genghis Khan biopic and also an action thriller called No Man's Land. So, seems that he is gaining a, a lot of clout in Hollywood, which is good. I think that he has a, a unique vision and I think the man with the iron fist is going to deliver on that vision for sure. So it's good to see. Now, of course, the big news in, in entertainment this week was Disney's purchase of Lucasfilm. They purchased a company from George Lucas for $4.5 billion in stock and cash. Not only that, but they took the opportunity to announce plans to release Star Wars Episode Seven in 2015. This deal means now that Disney, ABC, ESPN, Pixar, and Marvel are all under one company. Now, the crazy thing, obviously, is the potential for brand new Star Wars films, but obviously the other thing being countless, countless ways to just merchandise the shit out of Star Wars more than they've already, than they've already done. Uh, StarWars.com released an interview with George Lucas, and he said that, you know, he's looking forward to just watching the movies as a fan and and just being involved as a fan now the funny thing in my in my opinion with regards to that is that george lucas he, he kind of just lost his passion doing the three the other three movies i mean i think there was an interview where he said that he just did those movies you know for for merchandise and for stuff which i don't know how legitimate that is like i've said i've heard that in in different places but the star wars trilogy the 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 original three told such an amazing story so for you to go back and flesh that story out it it would it, 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 excuse me it would have required a ton of work and it just felt like it, it came in stages the first one was mediocre the second one was okay and then the third one just kind of brought everything together and it was solid i i do have to commend george lucas he's taking the money he's gonna apply that money to charity he's gonna do a lot of good things um it's crazy because he's a hundred percent owner, so the four point five billion dollars he's getting, he's just he's gonna distribute as he sees fit. 
uh, probably to his his own foundation, uh, the George Lucas Educational Foundation. Maybe create a new one. Maybe put money to Edutopia. Um, probably also give money to other causes, which he's known to give for. You know, stand up for cancer, make a wish, the Film Foundation. But the way I see it is that maybe maybe he needed to just step away. Maybe these guys they're they're able to do something different. Maybe Disney just has a different a different vision. That they can bring forward. And the crazy thing is that Disney's even saying that these new Star Wars movies won't even borrow from the expanded universe. They'll be completely new. Which is crazy. Because think about it. You got all the books that have been out. All the comics that Dark Horse has put out. But Disney wants to start with a completely clean slate. Honestly, and a lot of you may think I'm crazy. I'd like to see them continuing the stories with Han Solo and Princess Leia's children. Now, the reason I say that is, yeah, you know, there's expanded universe story in that, but um, Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher are old enough that you can bring them on board to play parents. And you can just do some really great storytelling with that. Of course, that's dipping into the expanded universe, but you can create something completely new using those original characters. Even if you use an older Luke Skywalker with Mark Hamill, you know, you can, you could probably do some really, really cool stuff and still use some of the original actors. I wouldn't mind seeing just a, a movie dedicated to, to the bounty hunters, to, to Boba Fett, because Boba Fett's character, for as much as people love his character, we really don't know much more than him being a clone. So you can actually flesh out that story. Of course, there's also... Uh, discussions about uh, Star Wars TV series, etc. But honestly, going with a, an older Han Solo and Princess Leia and telling the stories of their kids, you can have a lot of fun with that. And not only that, but you can create brand new characters. Just kind of keep that in there so that when people go to see these movies, they can say, hey, you know, it's Han Solo. Or, hey, it's Princess Leia. Give them something that they can just feel a um, an attachment to to ensure the film's success. I don't know. Maybe Maybe Disney will do a good job. Who knows? Or maybe they'll suck. Uh, honestly, I think it's good that George Lucas just stepped away and kind of handed the reins to somebody else. So we'll see what they do with the license. We'll see where it goes from there. Obviously, there's been countless funny things. Uh, Mickey Mouse dressed like Darth Vader. Um, you know, Luke Skywalker with Disney, with, with Mickey ears. Uh, Princess Leia amongst the Disney princesses, which is kind of funny. Um, crazy things like that. So it's pretty cool to see. We'll see how it pans out. I'm going to use a wait-and-see approach, and we'll see what happens come 2015. In some sequel news, they're doing a sequel, get this, to the Fright Night remake. I kid you not. They're going to do a follow-up to the 2011 remake. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez, who did Stash House and Fear Itself, is going to be directing it. And it's going to be a standalone story, which is going to be taking place in Romania. Obviously, based on that, I doubt Colin Farrell or Anton Yelchin will be returning, but who knows? Either way, they're going to do a sequel to a remake that already had a sequel. So, Hollywood logic, hard at work. In some other Marvel movie news, Deadline reports that Brian Singer will be returning to the X-Men franchise to direct X-Men Days of the Future Past. Matthew Vaughn, of course, was originally scheduled to direct it, but decided to step out. Of course, bringing Brian Singer back, he's, of course, well-known for his vision of the X-Men with X-Men and X2 X-Men United. 
So it's going to be very interesting to see how he incorporates his vision into the already existing universe created by um, X-Men First Class. Now here are your what the fuck movie news for this week. Get this, Jamie Foxx is in early talks to play Electro in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. I kid you not. Jamie Foxx. Of all the actors out there, Jamie Foxx. And it's funny because Mark Webb, in in an interview that ComingSoon.net put out, uh, he said, I think Jamie Foxx is electrifying. I think Jamie Foxx is one of the best actors around today. He's such a great character actor and he's a really brilliant guy. I would love to work with him and you'll be hearing more on that shortly, I'm sure. When asked about uh, characters that interested Mark Webb, he said, I like Electro. I'm fascinated by Norman Osborn and the different inflections of him and Harry. Mary Jane and Gwen are always interesting to me. He was also asked, what makes villains and characters important for the movies? He said, what makes villains interesting to me is what they bring out of Peter, what challenges they provide for him. What's great about Marvel and other comics is that often there's a pre-existing relationship. It's not just about the physical conflict he has, but the emotional one as well. Next up, when asked about what excites him about the sequel, he said what's exciting about moving forward is that in the first movie, I had to still honor some of the important elements of the origin story. But I also wanted to redefine the context of it because I'm building a different universe than what we've seen before. A lot of the nuance is quite different. Now as we're approaching the sequel, I'm really excited. It's really exciting because I feel quite liberated. I have a universe that's my own. I don't have an obligation to the origin story. It's pretty fun and exciting, and I can dig deeper into the parents. So there you go. The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is scheduled to release in May 2014. The Amazing Spider-Man will be on DVD and Blu-ray November 9th. If you want to pick that up, make sure to hit up our Amazon affiliate store. And you can grab that directly from us here at MTR. Now, Jamie Foxx's Electro, it's very strange for me because Electro's character is a character that initially appeared to be very humorous. And as the years progressed in the stories, he became darker and more dangerous, which is good. Now, of course, the subject of race comes into play. But when you're creating a brand new film universe, you can have a little fun with it. It's like I said, you know, when when people saw, you know, Black Nick Fury or when Heimdall was black and Thor, and things of that nature. It's it's just something, it's just a changing of the times which can be remedied in comic books by just changing who the character is. You could just as easily kill Maxwell Dillon in the comics and have a new guy assume the mantle of Electro who just happens to be black. Simple as that. I don't, I don't really know how I would feel about Jamie Foxx playing that role because Jamie Foxx is such a very strange actor. He's He can do excellent drama... And he can also be humorous, but when you're trying to put him against a guy like, like um, you know, like Andrew Garfield, who he kind of plays that awkward, snarky Peter Parker. I don't know how well that'll work with an actor of the caliber, you know, of the caliber of Jamie Foxx. I'm sorry, it just it just doesn't work. Now, people can they can throw us a completely different curveball and make Jamie Foxx Norman Osborn. Imagine that shit. I don't think they'll do that. I think all signs are pointing to Electro, but who knows? Who knows at this point? Maybe they, they'll they get extra obscure. Maybe we'll see the Scorpion or something like that. Honestly, I'd like to see the Scorpion on the silver screen. I think um, 
his character would work really well. I'd like to see Alistair Smythe and the Spider Slayers. Those would translate well, especially after the Amazing Spider-Man video game that Slick reviewed. But it's, it's tough to really envision Jamie Foxx as Electro. Again, who knows? Maybe, maybe, the, maybe he'll do... The, I said the same thing years ago about um, the late Heath Ledger playing the Joker, and we know how that went. But I don't know. Electro's really not that kind of a character where he, he has that mainstream appeal that will make people can, can give, give two shits about who's playing him. You could say, oh, Electro's in the movie. And people will be like, uh, yeah, okay, great. Like, he's not on par with, like, a Rhino and not even Rhino, because Rhino's kind of a, a secondary villain. But when you think of Peter Parker and you think of the Amazing Spider-Man, the villains that come to mind for me as a fan are Dr. Octopus, the Green Goblin, Venom, and Vulture. You can go a little deeper and maybe throw in Hydro-Man. Maybe you could throw in Hobgoblin, um, the Kingpin. But when you think of it, it's like Nor- the Green Goblin, Norman Osborn is the main guy. Then when you kind of spin off from that, the secondary guy everybody looks at is Venom. Then you got Dr. Octopus and, um, of course, Sandman and those guys. But Green Goblin is always the main, main dude. Electro, yeah, Electro's there. Mysterio is there. But they don't hold the same weight. So to acknowledge such a secondary villain, I mean, they did it with the Lizard, which is fine. But I don't know. I don't know how well Electro will work just because he's a character nobody's invested in nobody gives a fuck about that character who knows but we'll see what happens in the coming weeks last bit of movie news to close things out latino review has a source that says that guillermo del toro is working on a live action dc superheroes team-up movie that will be based on dc supernatural heroes it's almost uh guillermo del toro's version of the avengers the film is going to be rumored to be called heaven sent and it's going to have all the magical characters from the DC universe, including Dead Man, the Spectre, Swamp Thing, Hellbla- uh, Constantine Hellblazer, the Phantom Stranger, Zatanna, Zatara, and Sargon, as well as Etrigan the Demon. So, who knows what the deal is, but it's going to be very interesting to see if they do some sort of a film based on the supernatural characters of the DC universe, because there's some really great source material there, especially with characters like the Spectre, Swamp Thing, who we've already seen movies for, and Zatanna, who's a staple in in the Batman books as well. Who knows, maybe you could have a little bit of a tie-in there and get that moving, but it's nice to see DC looking at 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 other characters beyond the, the, the core characters, you know, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, and Batman, and Guillermo del Toro is a, is a lunatic. He always brings such a great twisted vision to the screen. So to see him, I'd like to see what he'd do with a guy like Etrigan the Demon or uh, Hellblazer, which, um, you know, they did that with already with Constantine with Keanu Reeves. But who knows? Maybe we'll get a different a different interpretation. Of course, Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing is always cool. I'm a, I'm, I'm a mark for Swamp Thing because I actually really, really enjoyed uh, the second film. I thought the second film, it was it was campy. It was hokey, but... It was it was enjoyable in my opinion. Plus, that was when Heather Locklear was super hot way back when. Anyway, we'll see what happens with that. I'm gonna as soon as I get news regarding that, I will share it with you guys. Simple as that. All right, that actually wraps up the show for this week. For some reason, that uh, one liter bottle of Coke Zero has actually just dried out every aspect of my vocal cords. So it's actually fitting that the show is over. Anyway. Let's take it. Let's take it home. 
You've just heard My Take Radio episode 161 for Thursday, November 1st, 2012. If you have any questions or concerns, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. If you're interested in being a guest on a future episode of MTR or any of our original series for our apps, MTR Beyond the Mic and MTR Behind the Mic, you can also use that email, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. If you don't want to use email and would want to, and want to leave a message on our feedback line, the feedback number is 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. If you don't want your message played on air, please make sure to specify that in the recording. Now, social media. You can find us on Twitter, at MyTakeRadio, MySpace. Become a fan on our Facebook fan page. Ask us questions on FormSpring. And, of course, add us to your circle on Google+. If you want to get access to all the MTR exclusives, make sure to pick up our official app for your Android or iOS device. For Android, you can pick it up in the Amazon Android Marketplace, and for iOS, of course, you can pick it up in good old iTunes. Last but not least, you can also listen to MTR via Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes and also the Zoom Marketplace. You can also use our players for Mixler and also the Blog Talk Radio player on our website. If you are getting the shows from iTunes, please take a moment and rate the show and share your thoughts. Helps us move up the rankings and hopefully will get us into the top 100 category. We'd really appreciate that very much. All right, guys, that's it. Thank you guys all for listening. I will see you guys next week. Clearly, this this uh, this shit does not want to play. Anyway, let's get some outro music. Uh, what are we going to go out with this week? Uh, you know what? I'm thinking we're going to go out with Streets of Rage 2 Go Back, available from OC Remix, and you can pick that up at ocremix.org.
Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Bye-bye.